Greetings and welcome to season three of Stamper Cinema. Thank you very much for, for listening. As always, I am your host. My name is Andrew. And I'm really excited. This is our third official season. This is our this is our season premiere. This is fun. We started this little project back in the year 2020. And here we are, 2022. And I still don't know what I'm doing, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, I do appreciate everybody that's taken the time to listen to this podcast. I've had a lot of fun. And for a moment, just to reflect upon season two, I want to thank everybody that helped make it possible. We did almost 40 episodes, if not 40 episodes last year. So that was huge. I undertook a few projects none of which I completed. So I didn't finish the Ted Lasso. I didn't finish the Avengers and I didn't finish the Star Wars, but that's okay. And who knows, maybe we'll actually accomplish accomplish those this year. But cheers. And this is me having a little, little taste of all that success. And oh my God, we brought out celebrities last season. How cool was that? You know, so mad shout out to everybody that that participated, whether it was Diane Franklin or Andre Gower or Jenica Berger, who came out like a champ and hooked us up with Lance Kinsey. And, oh my God, I know I'm forgetting somebody right off. Oh my God, Keith Coogan we had last year. I mean, it was huge. We we had a lot of heavy hitters in addition to the fact that we, of course, we had Johnny Bones, you know, and you guys love him. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, everybody that helped make this possible. I'm really extremely appreciative. But now the time has come to talk about the movie that is going to kickstart our 2022 campaign. And it's really not even one movie. It's it's four movies. And we are going to be talking all about Scream. That's right. The Wes Craven franchise, you know, the films, you've all seen them. We've all seen them, right? Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4 the film that really saved the slasher genre. And I'm really excited to talk about it. And for this episode, I brought back a a few guests and we're going to have a couple, a couple new people to the show that you haven't ever met, but kickstarting, we're going to have the most lovely guest this podcast has ever had. And that would be Mrs. Stamper. And that would be lady Catherine. How's it going, Catherine? How are you? Hey, Hubs. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for for being the the guest to kickstart this new season. I'm honored. I'm truly, truly honored. Um, I'm excited to be here and I appreciate the invite. I can't think of a better film that just hits right into all of your sensibilities than than to talk about a slasher film. Right. I mean, I know you. You love horror films, right? No, I don't. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What? What? This is news to me. We've we've known each other well over a decade. You're just introducing this to me now that you're not a fan of the genre. Yeah, no. Um, me not liking scary movies. Is this truly news to you, Andrew? Oh my <laughs> I honestly, I kind of feel like this may have been the like moment of when you found that out about me, you were like hey, do I proceed with this relationship or do I not? Like, (laughs) um, I feel like you as a movie fan and you loving all the genres that you do and having a deep 
deep respect for movies and, you know, the directors and the writing. I, I, I obviously didn't quite understand the nuances and, um, sort of tongue-in-cheekness that a lot of slasher films have and uh, self-awareness and uh, third eye that that these films have. So thanks to you over the decade plus that I've known you, you have introduced me to the knowledge that these types of films have. But no, when we first met, I am not a slasher film fan. I'm not a scary movie fan. I think over the years I've developed an appreciation for at least the like scream genre, but definitely not um, going to seek out scary movies or um, thrillers or slasher films unless <laughs> you're with me. And it's not because I need my like big, handsome, strong husband with me. I just, I need somebody who has confirm. I am all of those things. (laughs) I just need somebody with the film acumen to sort of digest everything for me where it's like, Hey, on the surface, this is kind of a scary movie, but actually if we're going to talk about scream, which we will, um, but it's the, you know, self-awareness layer. It's the, um, you know, sort of tongue in cheekness. It's, it, you know, like, I guess it's just all the self-awareness and, and when it comes to scream, it's actually not that scary. It was when I was say 10, but I'm an adult now and I can handle it. But, um, I appreciate that you have brought me up to the fold of recognizing slasher films, at least when we're talking about the scream genre has, um, more depth and dimension to it than what I initially thought. Sure. Yeah. And all of that, all of that is great. Now you did say something that I found kind of interesting and to kind of like circle back a little bit. Now this movie kind of falls under the, the whole idea of the, the, the slasher horror film, which in, to be for perfectly frank, when this movie came out in 1996, the, the slasher genre was basically all like, dead i mean you know no pun intended i mean it was it was done and dusted the what was the predict like what preceded it was it like the texas chainsaw massacre or like what was what was like you had you had a, a myriad you had a myriad of those films that had come about but basically the 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 friday the 13th franchise the nightmare on elm street franchise the halloween franchise the production quality of these films were deteriorating and the while these movies were still profitable in the box office, they weren't heavy hitters, right? And so that genre kind of moved on. And to, I guess, maybe kickstart the movie Scream. And with this episode, we're not taking a deep dive into the overall plot of Scream 1 versus Scream 2 versus Scream 3 versus Scream 4, simply for the fact that this is kind of like a legacy episode where we're talking about the franchise as a whole. You should already know it. If you don't, here's your, your, your 60 second rundown. where basically serial killers essentially tore a uh, wreak havoc on this, uh, this, our, our, our leading final girl. And that would be Sydney Prescott played by Nev Campbell. And she's got a couple of friends that also help her along the way. But what Scream is, is a very self-aware 
horror film that really talks specifically about horror movie tropes and how how one can navigate and survive a horror film, right? I mean, that's just like I said, just a very very simple Reader's Digest. I'm not going to talk to talk to you about the plot. You know the plot. Right now, all we want to do is talk to people that know these movies or maybe don't know the movies very well or have been introduced and enjoy these films now. I mean, that's really what I'm more interested in. If you want to like a deep breakdown on act one versus act three, there, there are hundreds upon thousands of podcasts you can listen. This is just a celebration of, of these films because we have a brand new Scream film coming out in a matter of days at the time of recording. And if you're listening to it, the brand new Scream movie is probably already out. And I just wanted to kind of like celebrate this franchise, which has been a big deal for me over the past shit, 25 plus years. But sorry, I wasn't trying to like go deep dive into Scream. I think maybe I set that up that way. I didn't mean to. I just, but no, um, my whole intention was not to like make you go into a deep dive about the film, but I, as somebody who did not grow up, watching the franchise of Scream and watched it later on in my life with the wherewithal and education from you to kind of like, hey, you know, this isn't just a scary movie. This is this is more of like a farce or a, you know, um, it's almost levity, right? Like mm-hmm. levity from scary movies in that, yeah, there's going to be kind of like shock and awe moments. There's going to be um, jumps and scares. Uh, and I think by the time you're watching the fourth film, you're expecting a twist. You're expecting you're going to meet the killer in the first 20 minutes. You're expecting you're going like there's a pattern in the franchise. But I think what I'm trying to say is that I was unaware to all of that until I started watching them with you. Mm. So I don't know if that's a, if that's a moment of gratitude as like, thank you for like, you know, helping me recognize (laughs) like to me, scary movies were just scary movies. And then once you start to unpack the different like tropes or like um, sort of expectations of scary movies, I became less scared of them. Mm. Um, And this may be like some sort of like pivotal moment for me, but like, I'm going to take something that's not about this movie. So I apologize. I'm going to go to a film we watched. uh, God, I must've still been in college when I knew you, we watched a movie one summer called the collector. Mm. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, if anybody has seen the collector, this is true torture porn movie. And, uh, I, I almost want to argue that it has an element of self-awareness that scream also has in that, um, this film is about like, if anybody has seen the collector, um, then you get it, but quick, (laughs) quick digest. Um, basically there's this man who is intending to rob this family and in the process gets, locked into this like rich family's home uh, because there's another person who is intending to 
also do nefarious things. And he gets kind of lost in the fold and is trying to help the family. And he's trying to get out just as much as trying to help the family get out. He's just like a petty, you know, like a uh, robber. Mm-hmm. And this person who is got way worse things intended uh, ends up like putting him in a trunk and like people get tortured. They, it, It's gross. It's a gross film. But if you can get past the like, I don't know, saw elements there is a lot of scream elements to it where you've got um, just sort of a self-awareness mm-hmm. of the film. There's you, you kind of weirdly end up laughing at some parts. Um, and then this, was it like this past like three months, Andrew, we watched the, not the collector, but we watched the collection right. and it was a sequel, <laughs> not as good but it still had the same self-awareness. So I I think what I'm trying to get at Andrew and I apologize because I'm so deviating, but what I'm trying to say is you have opened my awareness to that. Scary movies are not just intended to make you frightened. They're intended to sort of find bizarre levity in the artistic nuance of you know, there's, there's slasher porn, there's, there's torture porn, but there's also like an artistic element to it. Yes. Um, so anyway, that's where I was going. I'm sorry for like deviating, but no, yeah, no, no, no. I, I find there, there's a lot of great stuff in there. I, I mean, far too much to completely unpack, but right. I'm sorry. I know we're supposed to talk about like a few minutes about this movie, but <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. okay. I mean, there, this is, this is all great. Um, where do I want to begin? Now you did talk about self-awareness and levity. And I think that is one of the things that make this movie very successful in a specific way where before we went on a sub uh, sub tangent, I, I'm this, I think I, I'm at really at fault is I had mentioned how the, the genre was essentially over and this movie came, came about. And honestly, if there was a prequel to this movie, I would say it was Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which was a, a Freddy Krueger movie that he had done uh, just a year or two prior to this. And in this one, he kind of talked about art imitating reality, right? And this movie really, really specific. And when I say, I mean, the entire franchise, but more so Scream, the original one is all about or rather reality imitating art, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to or comes down to is within this film, the whole thing is about the the horror movie genre and the rules that, that exist within that universe. And this movie talks about the rules. It brings up other iconic horror films as, as reference points. So whether it's Halloween or... Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street or Texas well, Chainsaw yeah, I mean, Massacre. Isn't that what Jamie, Jamie Kennedy's whole like character was for, was for him to mm-hmm. tell the rules and to talk about the. And honestly, in Scream 4, that's what... Uh, the camera on his face, uh, Robbie Mercer was his character. Right. You know, they adapt to you know, just the technology over the years, but essentially he serves as the same 
I guess, you know, plot essential device. plot device. Yeah. As, as Jamie Kennedy was in the very first one where they are the like, Hey, these are the rules of how scary movies happen. And then, you know, you've got Robbie, Robbie Mercer. He, he's the one who's like, no, these are the new rules because things have changed or these are always the rules because this is how it's always been. Um, and I find that really interesting because something that I love about, and I might be going in another direction here, but something I love what the, the Scream films have done over the years slash decades is they have adapted to technology and changing times. I mean, they had to, like you've mm-hmm. got the landline calling Drew Barrymore versus the cell phones and the videos and you know, all that. So um, I think I, I deviated here a little bit, but I think it's interesting how um, Scream serves to educate the audience just as much as they are to share this, you know, slasher. Uh, film. For sure. For sure. For sure. Now, again, just to kind of unpack a couple things that I mentioned, I just, I would be, I'd shoot myself if I didn't at least mention this just because you brought up Drew Barrymore. Would you be surprised to know that if I told you that Drew Barrymore was originally cast to play Sidney Prescott, but and that, in fact, her getting that role is what got Wes Craven to sign on to do this movie. And then like a month, and then like a month before shooting, Drew's like, you know what? You know what would be awesome? is if I didn't do Sydney, but instead did Casey Becker, just to mess with the audience expectations because of the fact they think I'm going to be the star <gasps> of this movie, just to, to kind of like just flip it yeah. upside down. And that's why the poster and like the movie, like um, all the promotional marketing had her. Yeah, she was the most marketable person at the time. Yeah. Well, now, of course she was, yeah. yeah. I did not know that. Would you be shocked if I told you that one of the actresses in serious consideration for Sydney Prescott before finally landing on Nev Campbell was your girl Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon <gasps> was also in consideration. No. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my God. She wouldn't have been able to have done legally blonde. I mean, I mean, well, she could have. I mean, technically, but yeah, like she couldn't have been the same Reese Witherspoon that we know now. It would have been different. It definitely would have been, been different. So different. Yeah. Like, how do you go from election to to scream to legally blonde to right. you know wherever else she's gone? But no, yeah, cruel no, I intentions. can't. Cruel intentions, which also has um, uh. Sarah Michelle Geller. Oh my God, I got another, I've yeah. got another little like wild connection for you. Okay. Now in I'm Scream ready. 2, and again, for the listeners, we're going all over. We're going to talk we time mostly Sorry. about Scream 1, probably a little bit more about Scream 2, a little, a lot less about Scream 3, and a little, maybe a little bit more on Scream 4. But anyway, Scream 2, there is this moment where Sarah Michelle Geller is on the phone, right? She's talking to somebody on, on the phone and... She mentions how like Sarah broke up with Bailey. Well, that was a reference to Party of Five, which Nev Campbell was right. on because right, there right. was a character, you know, Bailey on the show. But who she was talking to on the phone was a little actress that maybe you would recognize from Cruel Intentions. She was talking to Selma Blair on the phone. Yeah, yeah CC. Cece, would, right? Pardon me. Was it CC? 
Well, yeah, Cece. So Sarah Michelle Geller was talking to Selma Blair on the phone and Selma Blair right. makes no appearance in Scream 2 whatsoever. None. But she was right. on the phone. And again, they would later act with each other a couple of years later on Cruel Intention. So all these... No, I like last year I did this podcast and I had a couple of celebrities and they all referenced the fact they all were, they were all in the same auditions. They all auditioned for the same movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Fast forward into the nineties where we're at now, same concept. So like Nev Campbell, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Reese Witherspoon, all these actresses that were coming up at the same time, they were all auditioning for the same shit. It just, for us as viewers, we don't recognize that. But it's really fascinating where you you see where all these connections kind of like came across. Like, for example, in Scream 3, the actor that plays Dewey in the movie of of like Stab 3 uh, was actually an actor that auditioned for Dewey in the original Scream, right? No way. <laughs> so you see like all these kind of like mergings because it's something that that actors do. Uh, I have some trivia for you, actually. Okay. I have, I ha- if we're going to segue into my favorite, no, I won't say favorite. I'm going to tell you why I favor, not favorite in a minute. Um, but I have trivia for you. I have two questions related to Scream 2. Mm-hmm. And okay, so <laughs> I-, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about Scream 2. Um, so I'll ask you two trivia questions, Okay. but you know, we can, we can segue however we want to, but, um, the beginning of the movie of scream two cotton weary is being featured on a television show. Um, can you recall the television show or interview he was being, that was being conducted. I don't know, like Entertainment Tonight or Entertainment Weekly or Inside Television or something like that. Very close. The current edition. Current edition. Current edition. Okay. Mm -hmm. Current edition. And then in Scream 2, Gotta Love Me, some uh, Courtney Cox. Also, I am not age shaming Courtney Cox in any way, shape or form. I do have to take a moment to recognize that she has made as it comes to um, altering her looks. And I think that my, is it, is it screen two or screen three where she has those horrid bangs? Screen three, right? I think it's three. I thought that was four. No, it wasn't four. I think it's three. But Randy in Scream 2 accuses Gail Winter slash Courtney Cox of having what reconstructive surgery? Calf. She had calf implants. Yes, you're right. She had calf implants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're right. So good job. You Thank know. you. Thank you. That, that's a good one. Um, now, I do want to, just because you brought up Scream 2, and I guess what I'll do is obviously the the first film, if you're listening half hour into it, the original plot follows these characters as they're in high school. And we're introduced to this world where this guy in a ghost mask is terrorizing the, 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 the students of Woodsboro High School. Episode or the first movie focuses on high school. Second one. We are now in college, still following Sydney Prescott, and she's in college. And 
we have a copycat scenario because Gail Weathers, who was a journalist, she wrote a book about the events that happened in the first movie. And based on that book, they have subsequently created a now, movie. Now, to interrupt you really fast, though, she had written a book prior to the first movie, too, which is what has Sydney all up in a spin, too, right? Sure, like, sure, sure. You, you can talk yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is her second book, technically, right? Was it a book? It might have been a book. I couldn't remember if it was a book or a news story. I guess it was a book. I couldn't remember if it was like a news story. Or maybe it was her testimony. I don't know. I'm sorry. All I remember is that like Sydney and she punched, she's like, bitch Damn, down. Bitch goes down. Bitch uh, goes down. <laughs> I'll send you a copy. Okay. Yeah, it was a book. It, it was, was a, a book. book. Yes. Yes. She's with Homegirl um, uh, when she dies in the garage. Nah. What's her name? <laughs> Oh, no spoilers. No spoilers. Okay, no spoilers. We can talk about yeah, the plot friend, in a broad sense and spoil the movie in a broad sense, but we're not going to say victors, victims and we're not going to say killers. Well, we didn't set these rules ahead of time. Listen, so. there, there, are, there are rules in my podcast. And if you listen to my podcast, you'll realize okay, the, rules are made up, the, the rules are made up on the fly. <laughs> All right. So now I'm going to have a moment to take, uh, like, take, a, take a second. I think part of the reason why I've always resonated with this franchise is the fact that at a very, very young age, I've always enjoyed scary films, whether it was a slasher film, whether it was paranormal films, whether it was uh, like sci-fi horrors, whatever it was, whatever the genre would be, I was always really big into them. And I find myself becoming very aware of, of these rules. And when this movie came about, I saw it, if not opening night, the following night, like like the second night or the third night or whatever. And I went with a movie uh, with a, a like a then girlfriend at the time. I didn't know anything about this movie. I hadn't seen the previews or anything. I don't know how I missed it. I, I, I don't know because this movie would have normally been like well over my radar, but went to the movie and fell in love with it. But specifically what I fell in love with is I don't know if I was able, if I had ever seen a movie that I identified more with than this film, specifically the character of Randy, who just was your your go-to like movie fanatic, but also understood the rules of how movies worked. And this is how things go. And this is how things don't go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he was kind of nerdy. And another thing that I really loved is early in the movie, we find out that he works at a video store, but he was he was fired from it. And then he's like, I was fired from it twice. Now, I go back to the fact that I got fired from a video store before I even technically started for, for the video store. I got hired to work. I don't at a, know about this yeah, story. Yeah. So I was I got a job working at a movie rental store. But before my first day, before anything happened, they told me I had to cut my hair. And this is back in the 90s. And right. And I, and I yes. didn't cut my hair and they're like, well, then you can't work here anymore. But I'm like, but I haven't even started yet. Okay, <laughs> but also like, why did a rental like, okay, was this like a blockbuster or a, like, was this mm. a, it would, who, it would have been was a, block, a corporate, it would have been a blockbuster competitor and it would have been like a local video store chain because I did not want to work at Blockbuster because Blockbuster, right. they were like, they were like the sellouts. They were right? the evil ones. Yeah, yeah, sellouts, yeah, yeah. Totally. So I, okay. But also I find it very interesting because um, if we're going to like go deep cut here, 
doesn't um, homeboy from Seinfeld, um, Vincent, have long Vincent. hair? Doesn't Vince's, uh, I feel like Vince he had a ponytail. Vince's picks. He had a ponytail, didn't Probably. he? Probably, but this, that would have been in New York and things in New York were a little bit different than in Naples, Florida, <laughs> where I was in high school. <laughs> Andrew, I just, I, like, I don't understand why, maybe this is like 2022 perception versus like 1995 perception, but why is a teenager who's working at a video rental store, not allowed to have a ponytail in the 1990s. I don't know. I don't know. And there might be a podcast for that, but <laughs> you know, I, I don't have the answer. I don't, but I, will I, mean, tell I you. just want to go back into the past and be like, y'all are out of your minds because mm-hmm. it's just a movie rental store and you need bodies. Like, yeah. what do you mean you can't hire a 17 year old kid yeah. who looks like Hanson? <laughs> <laughs> All your job would have been is to like rewound the movies and hit the charge button on the computer. Like, and make, and make recommendations. Mean? I mean, that's right. really what it all came down to. <laughs> But not with long hair. Not with long hair. And the truth no, is, when then. I would have been at that age, my hair really wasn't even that long. It would have been, I don't know. I mean, it it, it wouldn't have been that long. I mean, relatively speaking, but whatever. Anyway, so the point is, Randy, I finally found a character on film that I re- like, oh my God, holy fuck, this is me. This This dude is me. And he's the guy that establishes the rules and how the world works. And I'm watching this movie. I'm like, dude, yes, yes. Like, this is amazing. And the the movie subsequently ended. And then the girl and I at that time, we broke up like three or four days later. But it was still, oh, no. great, it was still, it was a great movie. It was a great movie. Um, Wait. Did you guys break up because of the movie? No, no, no. We broke up because... Was it because of your hair? It was because of my hair. It was because <laughs> I had long hair. Yeah. Like yeah. Because you didn't get the job at the movie. Exactly. Place. Exactly. <laughs> She's like, like, I can't. can't he's got long hair. Dinner. Nobody will hire his ass. <laughs> he's a deadbeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Deadbeat 17-year-old. He can't take me out to McDonald's for dinner. He doesn't even have a car. <laughs> no, no. Shout out to my oh, sister. Man. She doesn't even know, but why well, she she knows now, but I didn't have a car when I was a senior in high school, but my sister dated guys that did, and they would always drive her around. And so I would just borrow my sister's car. I didn't have a license. I drove around like all over like Florida without a license. And I would just take her car you know, no big deal. And I'd go like bring people over to my house or if I went to a movie or something, I would just, I'm not going to say I stole my sister's car because I mean, she didn't know it was gone and it was always back by the time she got home. I will say that's far more impressive than me who rode the bus all four years <laughs> of high school. <laughs> and you know this about me, we won't get into the specifics of all of that, but Maybe next you time. Know maybe that next I, time. Yeah, maybe next time. But I did. I did ride the bus forty-five minutes to school and forty-five minutes back. I did not get my driver's license until I came home from college my freshman year at like nineteen. So mm. there you go. Mm. Okay. Okay. 
Um, this has all been extremely riveting and a super deep dive <laughs> into, into Scream. But I do have a couple questions for you, obviously. Yep. And I already know the answer to this, but for the listeners, what is your favorite scary film? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I think I think if there's a thing I've recognized about myself is that if I am going to agree to watch something that is considered frightening, it needs to be dated, right? So when we first started dating, you introduced me to Poltergeist and, you know, things like that, which are, are and the shining and, and while those things are frightening in their own regard, it, it has a level of, you're able to detach from it because there's no CG. There's no, like you can recognize, Hey, it's not, it's not super, um, what's the word like authentic, I guess. Um, so, you know, in its time, it was terrifying. Right. And so I'm bringing all of that up to say that it's, it's very strange that I've spent this whole podcast saying, I don't like scary movies and I'm afraid of scary movies. And I, you know, prefer Reese Witherspoon movies or whatever but my favorite director as you know and as we like developed our entire courtship over is Alfred Hitchcock and um maybe that's because it was so dated that I could handle it but Psycho as cliche maybe as it is to say Psycho remains my favorite thriller movie um, and I, I, we could have an entire podcast series over our conversations over Alfred Hitchcock, but, um, and I'm nodding my head with you because, because we could actually, um, I think it would be at least fascinating for us. Um, and you know, we, we, we had every single table at our wedding, not as numbers, but as Alfred Hitchcock movies, because we agree on our fascination for his art and craft. But Psycho to me is probably the most fascinating, dense, in-depth, psychologically thrilling ride um, that to date, granted my, my to date is pretty limited because I don't watch contemporary thriller films like the conjuring or the, you know, whatever mm-hmm. I, I, I can't handle those. I don't like the jumps. I don't like the music and the, you know, like, you know, <laughs> please edit that out. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> um, I just don't like the shock and awe for being shock and awe. Mm-hmm. What I like is the psychological fuckery that happens. And so much of, psycho is the psychological fuckery like to me that was the biggest twist this was the inspiration in my opinion to say m night Shyamalan with the twist in the movie of like at the end you didn't know that the you know killer was not anthony perkins but or it was anthony perkins and not you you know the mom is in my pants the song like No, I know where you're going with that. I watched the end of um, The Sixth Sense and I cheered in my pants. No, I was not quoting that. 
Oh, fuck Andrew. Okay. No, that was not my intention, but what to me is, um, so fascinating is Hitchcock was the pioneer of all of that. And despite my, uh, not wanting to watch contemporary scary movies, I immensely respect the craft that it takes to do it um the shower scene i have researched of psycho ad nauseum i know that the blood is chocolate syrup i know that like you know um uh not tippy um shit what's her name um the mom of uh janet lee janet lee thank you janet lee was and also tippy hendren was psychologically just fucked from the screening like the the filming of those those scenes um it's it's fascinating to me to see the nuances the innards of the making of things like that and so maybe to me it's more about like i'm less scared to learn how things are made versus seeing it made i don't know if that makes sense it does it does okay yeah. So favorite, so, so favorite scary movie, Psycho. Interesting yeah. because it's one of the, the first ever slasher films. So that's that's yeah. interesting. Now it was the very first. Now within this franchise, what of the four? Because I know you've seen all four. What is your what is your favorite of the four Scream films? I love four because of their, um, the integration of technology and the Mm -hmm. self-awareness of like, I don't want to give anything away, but you've got, um, homegirl Roberts, Julia Roberts's cousin or niece or whatever. What's her name? You're talking about, uh, is it Emma, Emma Roberts? No. Um, Emma Roberts. That sounds kind of, it sounds right. Is that right? Sounds kind of right. Whatever her name is. Um, you've got her who, Emma Roberts. Yeah, it's Emma Roberts. Emma and Roberts, I'm sorry, I was, I was thrown off because her character's name is Jill, but it's Jill, Jill Roberts, right? Her character is Jill Roberts. Her real name is Emma Roberts. That's funny. Yeah, and that's another level of self awareness, maybe. Maybe, um, maybe. But her whole—I'm not giving anything away—but her whole character arc is very self aware, and um, they leverage technology and latest trends at that time to be very self-aware however to answer your immediate question while the fourth is not my favorite it's the last one i've seen um but i i have very selfish reasons for liking the one that i like it is scream two um i like scream two I was a huge fan before she lost her daggum mind of Roseanne. Roseanne was a very fun television show that I loved. Uh, I've never seen any of the like post Roseanne shows, whatever. But you're talking about the the Connors. Connors, right. Well, no, you know, they changed it from the Connor. They changed it from Roseanne, the sequel to the Connors because they wrote out Roseanne. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, in fact, the day before our own child was born, 
we went to the Roseanne South by Southwest setup. Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we went to like they had the the sofa and they had the um, cafe. It was really cool to me, but also it felt super creepy. Um, either way, the entire reason that I love that show is not at all because I like Roseanne Barr. I'm obsessed with John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf. Mm, Laurie Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf, who plays... Marcy. Marcy. No, not Marcy, but that's from another movie I love. Uncle Buck. Buck. Uh, She plays Mrs. Loomis. Um, Slash, we don't know that until later. Um, Leading into that, she was... I think her character's name was Debbie Salt. Debbie Salt, yes, yes. Because she follows... um, uh, Gail Winter, Gail Weathers around, yep. you know, just kind of fangirling over her for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the thing I love about Lori Metcalf is that she is theatrically trained. And if you know anything about me, I love a good theatrically pr- trained, you know, person. Even John Goodman was um, part of, you know, um, a training, but anyway, she just, she doesn't take herself seriously. I think she's hysterical. Um, and if you have seen the second one, even in the reveal of her character, she's just nuts. Um, she is comical and, and, and anyway, I just, I, what I love about it is it's just so theatrical, like the whole second the second movie she's in this drum um sydney's in this dramatic like play um i can't remember who it is it's like a um historical oh yeah oh my god um it'll come to me it'll come to me maybe not an hour interview i'll be interviewing somebody else later i'll be like fuck it was that play (laughs) yeah it was like a very dramatic like you know greek yeah history play and just everything about the the second film felt felt you know if we're talking about the self awareness it felt very self aware theatrical dramatic and that's what Lori Metcalf does so well is the like self aware drama and she nailed that she nailed it and I just that to me that is like Eurestia. she lived her pardon. The Orestia. Who's the, the like writer? The great play. Mm-hmm. She, uh, she uh, who was it? She played Cassandra. Cassandra, yeah. All those dramatic, like white cloth and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, like sorry. the voices. And no, no, don't be sorry. It's so true, though. Um, you know, and, and that's what's so interesting to me is like Sydney's trying to like reinvent herself and like be a new person and, you know, in a way, create her own person and create her new identity and that's what's so interesting about the whole theatrical element of that film is that you know she's we never knew in the first film that she was into theater no and then she goes to college right and then she goes to college and then you know this this one girl who is sort of a shut-in because her mom was murdered tragically decides that she's going to go to college and she's going to like 
self-exploration become this like star of a play and like to me that's just so silly right right? and and I think that's an element of the self-awareness and then you've got Lori Metcalf who is the queen of self-awareness and the queen of just drama silliness and it's a perfect like melody of Mm. You know, um, who was her boyfriend in the second one? Um, Jerry um, O'Connell, right? right. Jerry, Jerry yeah. O'Connell. Yeah. Who also is. I think her boyfriend's super... character's name was uh, Derek. Derek. Or, that was yeah. his name, Derek. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then what is, I don't Vern, know. Vern, if, in... if you will, from Stand By Me. Right, Vern, and who had subsequently lost a lot of weight and became kind of a hottie. Like, kind I mean, of like I would Neville. argue he gained weight since he played Vern, <laughs> but, you know. Touche, I- but he, like, basically becomes the Neville from Harry Potter, right? right? <laughs> yes, he was Neville version <laughs> right. 1.0. Right, but the thing that's so interesting to me is you you've got them in high school, right? And then they she goes to college, and she's doing the whole college thing. And then the third one is about movies and drama in the movies. It, I, like, I don't know. I'm getting way beyond the whole conversation. But to me, what's so interesting bit. is, <laughs> no, I'm getting to a point. Scream is entirely self-aware. You have the first one and then you've got the second one, which opens with a movie, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you've got um, Sydney, who's in a play. And then the third one, which also opens with a little bit of a movie nuance. And then the idea there is that you've got the actors who are like avoiding the killer. To me, there's like this unconversed element of like self-awareness through acting and film and um, theater that the, you know, um, Wes Craven or whomever, like there's just a really interesting element there of self-awareness but either way what I was trying to get at is that Lori Metcalf is the best possible underrated casted person for the second film because she is the most self-aware non-self-aware actress I have ever seen in television or film alike I like it now, you, you, you mentioned self-aware a few times, so that's something that I want to specifically talk about in when it comes to Scream 2. Let's talk about Stab, right? Stab is something, and we're going to wrap this up right here because um, I, I've, I've had I you on. I went on tangents. Yeah. No, it's okay. This has been fun. I, I, I literally, and this will probably be my longest episode that I've done thus far, quite possibly, but... Ever? Well, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, this conversation has been over 45 minutes, so who knows? I don't know. We'll find out. But for Stab, which is this movie within a movie, I want to talk about like the the sheer insanity of everything, right? Because we we, we talk about this whole level of awareness. I mean, really, I think the phrase we're, we're, we're really going for is like meta, right? This whole meta, franchise yes, is about meta. being super meta. And super meta. You tried to explain that to my dad, by the way, and he's like, what is meta? He thought it was like the Facebook, like, rename, by the way. He did. He did. did. (laughs) No, dad, it's not Facebook. (laughs) Yeah. Google it, people. Google it. But so you have this movie, Stab, and it's this movie within a movie. Now, what's crazy about within Scream 2 is it takes place in this, this small town. Sydney goes to this college where the first two victims 
of this movie, they go to the, they they go to the same college. They're students at the same college. It's established in this small town. They know these events are based on a true story. Everybody in this movie theater knows it's based on a true story on somebody that lives in their town, and they're celebrating this, this chaos that's going on on camera. Never mind the and fact. And they make it look like pure chaos. Like everybody in the theater is running around with like fake yeah. knives and like, no, it is pure chaos in a theater, yeah. by the way. Yeah. And then furthermore, everything that we see on camera is literally the events that happened in the original Scream 1. And it's established that Stab was written by Gail Weathers, right? She wrote this book that's based on these events. Now, she has no idea how Casey Becker or Steve died, but it's literally that scene. Furthermore, there's a scene where we have Sidney Prescott and Billy Loomis having their conversation in the hall. And we also know that Sidney Prescott wants nothing to do with Gail Weathers. So how does she know of these conversations that took place between a guy that's dead and somebody that wanted nothing to do with her? Lastly... The Stab movie introduces, at the outset, the Nick Cave Red Right Hand song, which is used. <laughs> I knew you had to bring up the Red Right Hand song. Of also, course by I have the way, to. Of course if you I have, have never seen, which I have, if you have never seen the song live, it is as disturbing in person <laughs> as you would expect it to be. <laughs> As represented in this movie. It's actually probably underrepresented in the film. No, Nick Cage is fucking freaky. Well, Nick Cage is, but Nick Cave. Nick Cave, I think is what you meant. Oh, sorry, not Nick Cage. Nick Cave. No, this, yeah, that song is fucking weird. And he is too. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, again, just the the absurdity that this movie is, it's all over the place, but... And then, okay, but also, I don't know if you know this, but the first Scream to the second screen was only about six months when they started production for the second one. And they literally wrote various different um, endings. And then also the the scripts that the writers got or the um, actors got were like grayed out because they didn't want it to be duplicated or right. photocopied. Did you hear well, about I mean, this? Yeah. And one of the screenplays actually like leaked on the internet and and originally, Debbie Salt was always going to be one of the killers, but there there were different drafts that were I mean, different killers. Like in one draft, uh, Sydney's roommate was a killer. Another draft, Derek was a killer. And another draft, both her roommate and Derek were killers. And so they also didn't get the last like few pages of the script because they didn't want the actors ahead of time to know who the killer was. Or the killers were. Oh, I just think that's really interesting. Oh, and it's great. It's great. And just the last thing I'll mention about Scream 2. And again, I mean, I, I really talked a lot about Scream 2. I'm, I'm curious to see what the <laughs> other guests have to say. But uh, Matthew Lillard has a cameo in Scream 2. He's at the sorority party briefly. He's got like bleach blonde hair in the movie. But Matthew Lillard, Matthew Lillard played Stu, one of the high school students in uh Slash in, killers well again no spoilers, <gasps> spoilers. okay it's cut okay. that out cut that out no no we're gonna leave it doesn't matter uh there's pure chaos again rule number two of Sanford cinema chaos prevails right 
But um, yeah, so Matthew Lillard, Matthew Lillard was in that. I think he was actually also one of the attendees in Scream 4. I don't know if he had a cameo in Scream 3, but I think I, I think he was also in Scream 4. But anyway, Catherine, thank you. This has been a fun, it's impossible to cover four movies in as brief of a time as we did. So, I mean, this is mass, mass hysteria for all of our listeners, but you know what, whatever. That's how we're going to do it for season four. We're going to be all over the place. These episodes are going to be a little bit longer. Longer episodes, more chaos, fewer episodes. I don't know. We're, I don't know. I'm not going to make any more promises. That's no, it. Yeah, and thank you for rule the listeners. Rule number three, for like, no promises. Can I make a rule, like, run with my ADD? Like, I just, <laughs> like, I, I, I have seen all these films, and I... I'm sorry. I, I've got a lot to say and I can't do it linear, linearly. So thanks everybody for their patience and for trying to go along with the ride with us. Awesome. And go watch Psycho if you haven't seen it. I love it. All right, Catherine, thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you again uh, real soon. There's a term that we, we, you know, we can say that some people are dedicated but then there are some that are really dedicated. And our next guest is of the latter. He's awesome, uh, really, really great writer. He, he posted this incredible WordPress um, uh, article about the, the 75 or so reference movies that were referenced in the Scream franchise. And so we're gonna talk with him and find out what that was like watching all these movies in preparation for this new Scream. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Ben Irwin. How's it going, Ben? I'm good. Uh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk about Scream and to talk about my favorite franchise in all of horror. Ooh, so Scream is what you would argue is your your favorite horror film, or at least your favorite genre or your favorite franchise. Scream is is certainly my favorite franchise. Mm. Uh, the original Scream definitely ranks probably in the top three of my favorite <laughs> horror films of all time, but. I genuinely think that these first four films and, and hopefully fingers crossed uh, this new iteration, um, you know, are some of the best kind of pound for pound or film for film uh, horror films of any major franchise of the modern era. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it as well. I, I think, I think the franchise is in good hands and I'm looking forward to checking out the new one. So I'm, we'll, we'll see, hopefully, hopefully it does carry on in that in that uh in just making you know another just successful screen film but we'll find out how do you you haven't had the opportunity to catch like an early showing though right sadly no um but i'm a big fan of radio silence and i've enjoyed everything that they've done so far so mm -hmm. like you i'm sort of cautiously optimistic going into it with the attitude of there seems to be good talented folks at the helm who really have a knowledge of and reverence for the franchise and for Wes Craven. So that's at the very least an excellent start for something like this. For sure. For sure. Now, when was the first time you saw the original Scream film? So I, I first saw Scream uh, on VHS in sometime in the summer of 1996. I was 14. Uh, my older brother had just gotten a job at a video store, which at the time meant free rental. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had, you know, been watching horror films for most of my life, probably from far too young. Of an age. 
and he brought home this movie that I honestly hadn't heard much about since the internet wasn't really a, an accessible thing mm-hmm. back then. Uh, but he, he brought home this film and said, this is supposed to be great. It was made by the guy who did A Nightmare on Elm Street. And that was all it took to sell me. Um, <clears throat> watched the film and then immediately watched it again. <laughs> <laughs> In part because it you know, plays the mystery element and the sort of whodunit element so well, but also because for me as a teenager, it just felt so different and unique. Mm-hmm. particularly in that sort of mid-90s malaise of horror when a lot of franchises were feeling stale, a lot of films within the genre weren't seeming all that interesting, at least you know to me as a kid at the time. So not only seeing a film that felt so, so unique and so powerful, but also this movie that for me really encouraged kind of an archaeological dig into horror because it was referencing so many films that I hadn't seen at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Now, so you saw it about 14 years old on VHS. You had a brother that worked at a video store. Now, whereabouts in the country were you living at the time? So I was, I'm originally from Illinois. So I was living out there, uh, southwest of Chicago. You know, thankfully that sort of VHS era really brought movies to places where um, at the time, you know, we had one movie theater with three screens and that's, that's all we had. And if it wasn't a bigger film, it probably wasn't showing or it wasn't showing for very long, particularly if it wasn't a hit. Mm -hmm. Now in Illinois, I mean, that's really kind of like a major like hotspot for like the location for many a horror film, like Candyman takes place in like Chicago. Uh, obviously, what was it? Halloween takes place in Illinois. And right. I mean, so just you, you've got, I don't know, you're just kind of like that, that little hot spot for, for the genre. So, I mean, it just seems like it was made, it was, it was made for you to fall in love with uh, all these horror films. Well, and it's, it's a unique state in that regard that, you have a major city like like Chicago, but then you also have a lot of, uh, I'm hesitant to say a lot of nothing, but <laughs> you have a lot of soybeans and cornfields. <laughs> so you can have that sort of city horror just as much as you can have classic kind of rural horror. Mm. Obviously, so you saw that in 96, the the second one came out in 97 third one 2000 and then what the part the fourth one i think was like 2011 maybe 2012 of of the bunch because i think we've established that the the first one's your favorite would you be able to like put them in a rank like as far as like which one's your first favorite least favorite etc oh uh, absolutely it is the original scream then part four then scream two then scream three I think that's pretty universal. And by universal, I'm, you know, I, I think I've spoken to a couple other people that feel that way. So I don't know how universal that is, but yeah, the third one universally seems to be everybody's least favorite. And what, what do you think about it? Is it just because it, I don't know. Why, why do you think the third one is probably your least favorite? It is mine as well. Well, and it's, it's been really interesting uh, the past few weeks to see um, more folks talking about the franchise on social media because 
I've seen more people in the last few weeks having that debate. You know, there, I think there's a contingent of fans who would definitely rank part two as the best. I've seen more people in recent weeks citing a love for part three and contending that that you know entry in the franchise isn't well respected enough and that it does a number of things really well and to me that's one of the things that i appreciate about the screen films is you can make cases for the value of different uh, sequels mm. and and have valid points um so for me you know Part three, as much as I enjoy elements of the third act and um, seeing the recreation of kind of sets from the first one and seeing Wes Craven go kind of full new nightmare mm-hmm. within the screen universe, um, I very much love and appreciate that element of the film. But to me, it, it just doesn't feel all that cohesive. It's not nearly as scary. Um, and quite honestly, I think has some weaker characters mm-hmm. than some of the other uh, sequels in particular, where I think part four for me is is especially excellent because it's so prescient. Um, if you go back and read reviews from the time, um, you know, critics were lambasting uh, the killers of the film saying, this is ridiculous. Who would you know, think that being a killer would give you fame. Mm. And this idea that um, doing nothing but becoming famous is so laughable, but, you know, a decade on, um, that's half of Instagram. Right. <laughs> right. There, there is a whole uh, cadre of people for whom doing not a lot or doing a one very specific thing is their livelihood. Mm. Um, And not that those things don't necessarily take talent or skill, but, uh, you know, as characters in part four specifically mentioned, you know, what are you going to do? Go to college, get a job, go to work? No, that's a sucker's gambit. Like, go go be famous for anything. It doesn't matter. You don't have to do things. You just have to have terrible things happen to you. And I, I think that message is more resonant now far more resonant than when the film was initially released right on i mean completely completely accurate now just for the sake of time i i I mean i I feel like we can really unpack that and and talk about that for a long time but i think that's an entirely different uh conversation but i am curious because you did do a lot of film research in in preparation like even for like talking about this new movie right you you've got this really really great like wordpress um piece like when you went through the revisiting so i just want to know like what was the the origin behind that as far as like you know what i think i want to see like all these other horror films that were referenced in this franchise yeah, so the genesis of the idea uh, started shortly before, uh, in October, every year my wife and I do 31 and 31, if you're familiar, um, or for, for those who aren't, it's 31 move, horror movies in the month of October, and uh, we, we typically include the entire screen franchise in our 31 and 31, uh, and I initially was thinking, oh, 
we could construct the entire month just with films that are referenced in the Scream franchise. And that's kind of where the idea originated and eventually evolved to something uh, much dumber, which was <laughs> to rewatch all four films, try to take meticulous note of every reference, um, specific and direct or tangential, and then come up with a list of all of the films that are referenced in that franchise, trying as best as possible to include both the original films and as many remakes as possible. Somewhere around November, I actually started going through that long list of films and trying to uh, chip away at what felt like a mountain of cinema that I then had to watch my way through. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, I, I own most of those movies, <laughs> so that made this process uh, a little bit easier, you know, three cheers for physical media. <laughs> um, but I, I tried to, in some cases, watch films in the order in which they're referenced, uh, but also kind of mix things up, knowing that at certain points, um, I would have a slog ahead of me and, you know, watching five or six early 2000s remakes in a row mm. is a little bit more taxing than watching Hitchcock. Right. So <laughs> try, trying to mix things up. Um, but just over a course of literally a few months, watched uh, every film that, that I had on my list. Uh, in that regard, uh, the platform Tubi was also a godsend. For, for any horror fans who are unfamiliar, Tubi is an amazing platform uh, for finding films. So that really helped a lot, to be quite honest. And uh, then once, once everything had been viewed and I compiled all my notes, it was then just a matter of writing up that, you know, overly long, lugubrious um, <laughs> piece that eventually got posted online. And, and by the way, I mean, just mad shout out. I, I enjoyed reading it and it, and I don't know, it was kind of inspiring because it was something that I've always like kind of like talked about, like, you know, what'd be fun is to literally find every single reference that they, that they did in this franchise. You didn't just do that. You went and saw all of them, which is incredible. Now you had seen the, probably the majority of those were and there any, any new finds for you? Any something that you hadn't seen before that kind of that that blew your mind that you're like oh that that's really really good. Um, I'm going to be honest and say that there wasn't anything that I was seeing for the first time that really blew me away. Mm. A lot of um, the films that I hadn't seen were those some of the first wave you know 1981 to 1983 slashers <laughs> on college campuses. Um, that, that I hadn't seen before. What it did do for me, however, was remind me how much I love certain films, uh, particularly some of the remakes that in some cases get an unfairly bad rap. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there, there wasn't anything that I was seeing for the first time that was was like a revelation instead it was mostly a reminder of so many films that i enjoyed and also just an excuse to either rewatch some things or fill out some of my horror viewing with films that you know 
might not be necessarily seminal, but I think are still worth watching, particularly um, some of those early 80s slashers that are excellent films, but really are worth so that you can put them into their context as a viewer. Yeah. Now, you you said that there are a couple like remakes that you feel don't get enough like uh, recognition. Can, will anything like pop off the top of your head at all that you can think of that like that's a good remake? Um, so the, the first one that comes to mind is um, the, the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which mm-hmm. I, I realized was uh, financially pretty popular, but I think is, is a film that has gotten lost in um, discussion of the glut of kind of mediocre early 2000s remakes. Um, but I think that film really holds up better than most people would have expected. Mm. You know, I think also the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre for what it's doing is better than it should have been, um, particularly given that I, I think it was Platinum Dune's first foray in, into remakes. And, and I think the, the other one that sticks out is uh, that 2000 remake of Black Christmas or Black <clears throat> Xmas. Right. Which, again, is not um, amazing cinema, but I love the fact that everyone in that movie understands the assignment knows implicitly what that film is supposed to be and needs to be, and that they took the bare bones of the original and just cranked everything up to 11. And it's weird and psychotic and crazy in both visually and in terms of tone and story. But I I think that's kind of what a remake needs to do is to, to be something different and at the very least, for, for better or worse, take a big swing. If you're remaking a classic, don't just um, you know, pilfer the best-known scenes and try to recreate something that viewers can already watch. All you're doing is, in most cases, reminding them of a better film right. that they might rather be watching. That's such a great point. That's such a great point. Like, make it bonkers. At least then... Even if people hate it, um, you can watch a film like Black Xmas and say, well, it wasn't amazing, but it was interesting. And interesting is oftentimes better than, you know, some of the, the horror that gets cranked out. Yeah. Ben, thank you. That, that, was, that was incredible. Now, just in our final, final two minutes, I would shoot myself if I didn't at least ask What's your favorite scary movie or what are your, your three that you mentioned at the outset that, you know, Scream was in, among your top like three or so like favorite horror films. But what, what are some of those favorite scary movies of yours? Okay. So the first movie that really genuinely terrified me was A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. The, the, I, the I original. That, yeah. Okay. I, I saw that far too young and the, supernatural idea of being killed in your dreams uh, was terrifying to me. And I I will always kind of link the original and part two, since as as much as part two is is wildly different from anything else in the franchise, I think Kevin Yeager's effects in that film are absolutely terrifying. 
And it might have been the first time that I ever saw a horror film really delve into elements of body horror. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the idea of um, being taken over and having like an evil entity break out of your physical body um, was was also very frightening. Um, So Nightmare on Elm Street is probably, you know, my, my favorite film, or at least the the origin of my love of horror. Um, I would also probably say uh, Carpenter's The Thing, simply because, you know, when I first saw it, um, I was kind of amazed at the effects. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough as a child to to not only have parents who didn't much care what I was watching, (laughs) um, but my, my mom was an art teacher, so and a horror fan so we would watch horror movies and she would say oh that's liquid latex oh that's a puppet that's a maquette that's probably you know a prosthetic or an animatronic and having someone who could also kind of explain Mm -hmm. some of these effects um kind of bred an appreciation but also made those films simultaneously less frightening and more interesting to me to think about um, the the people behind the film and who is making and producing um, those effects that you're enjoying and how those those elements all come together to create uh, a film that can um, kind of elicit such visceral reactions. Yeah, that must have been wild to experience. Just someone kind of like breaking that down for you as a kid. I mean, that's that's not a lot of kids can relate to that. I know. And looking back, I, I don't think I appreciated it at the time. Uh, it's only as an adult that that I can think, oh, oh, I. Th- th- you can draw very clear lines mm-hmm. <laughs> between um, how how I was brought up. And um, the the kinds of things I enjoy as an adult and, mm-hmm. and why, um, and that that definitely impacted kind of my my appreciation uh, for horror in particular because special effects, um, particularly practical effects, are right. such a big part of of the genre. If if we're talking kind of what what influenced me as a horror fan. Um, as a child, films like The Monster Squad. Yay! Um, be, being able to see a horror film that had kids in it mm-hmm. and, and seeing children in danger. Um, did you see the, the Monster Squad as, as a kid? I did. I was maybe nine or 10 by the time I found it, you know, in the video store based largely on um, that VHS box cover. Right. You know, because it had universal monsters and it had kids. And, you know, as a nine or 10 year old going, hey, I want to rent that. Mm-hmm. That looks fun. And it's not rated R. So, it, you know, it doesn't look too salacious. So that's definitely, you know, something something I could watch and, and really love that. Great. Um, did you did you get a chance to see the, the Wolfman Scott Nards documentary that came out last year? Or the year before? I did. Okay. Um, and, and really kind of, I, I know that that film was mostly just a love letter yeah. to, to that film, but really enjoyed it. And kind of Andrew Gower is amazing in general, but as, as another of his contributions to the genre, mm-hmm. I think 
Like I'm I'm a sucker for horror documentaries anyway. Right. But best worst movie. Did you 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 saw that one as well? I I did. Um not not as much of a fan. It, it right. has its place. Um, but but I mean in in terms of horror docs, I'm I'm much more a fan of things like Never Sleep Again. Oh, of course. And uh there I I'm blanking on the name, uh, but Shudder just released an amazing documentary about folk horror that is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, but you know, documentaries that, that delve into either an individual film or series of films or genre. Um I, I really love and, and Wolfman's gotten our with such a kind of poignant mm-hmm. film and seeing um I think the cast genuine reaction to the love of a you know for or to the love for a movie that was a, initially you know quote unquote a flop. Yeah, love the monster squad, but like you grew up watching watching horror films, introduced to them to a at a at an age far too young. The the first scary film that I ever really saw was Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, and I made it about ten minutes, and had to had to turn it off. Just I wasn't prepared for a school bus to go off roading, and then like over like basically you know like a pit of hell. I'm like, no, mm-mm, not ready for this. I was like, I was in second grade. Just no, mm-mm, too soon. But then I immediately went back. I'm like, I need to know. I need to. I need to conquer this. And that was that was it. That was thus began my love affair with with the genre. Yeah. Have you seen um, Mark Patton's uh, Scream Queen? I did. I did. It was. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, you know, it's kind of kind of bittersweet in many ways, but mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. But it, it, it's funny, like these documentaries where they're often done about movies that didn't necessarily succeed. And when I watch them, I'm like, really? I'm like, man, because I, I just, I always put it in my headspace of like, I loved it. What do you mean other people didn't enjoy this? How could, how could people not have enjoyed these films? And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Well, and I think it's so fascinating now between Rotten Tomatoes and the ubiquity of box office numbers mm. that we so frequently equate a film success with. How much money did it make? What's its critic score? What's its audience score? When so many films that that are now kind of cult classics, especially, were failures by most accounts. Mm-hmm. And the the box office ultimately didn't matter. The critics ultimately didn't matter. Fans still latched onto, embraced, and loved these films. And I think it's really a testament, particularly to horror because I don't think you see that in other genres, right? There aren't romantic comedy conventions. That, that film genre does not engender that sort of love and dedication, but for, for a variety of reasons, horror does. Yeah. And becomes a, a part of the lives of people who enjoy those films and enjoy the genre. Yeah. And just to kind of like circle back to Scream, because you, you brought up, you know, box office numbers, Rotten Tomatoes, et cetera. Obviously the, the first two movies were a huge success. I mean, especially the first one, you know, very, very small budget compared to the, you know, the second, third and fourth film. But 
you know, they all, well, the first two did more successfully critically, the third one, not so much, but the fourth one had, had a bump critically, you know, uh, people enjoyed it, but it, that was a movie that didn't do so well in the box office, which is you know, just kind of, kind of, kind of startling. I don't know if people were just kind of like checked out at that point, or I don't know what was going on in the theaters at that time, but that movie kind of, kind of gotten for, kind of was forgotten in, in, I don't even know if the movie ultimately was profitable or not. I, I, I probably overseas, but not domestically. Yeah, I think it ultimately made money, but what was it? Seven years in between screen three and screen four. So right, I think in that sweet spot where, um, you know, some of the original audience probably wasn't clamoring mm. for, you know, for a sequel to, um, the least well-received entry in the franchise to that point. Um, but there wasn't quite um, the nostalgia and thirst for another entry the way that I think we're now seeing with this new installment. Yeah, I right? love it. Right, right at 10 years, you've got people now very highly anticipating another entry to see where the franchise will go and how... Uh, the filmmakers will once again not only satirize the genre, but play with and subvert the formula that the originally so expert create, expertly created. Oh man, that's a that's a perfect transition. Ben, thank you. This was this is so much so much fun. Where can people that listen to the podcast find you on like uh, like a social media? Ah, I am mostly on uh, Twitter. My handle is at isolation horror. Perfect. Ben, thank you. Oh, one last thing. I, I know at earlier in the conversation, we mentioned that you're up at in Syracuse. May, may I ask, what, what do you do up there? Um, I, uh, I teach writing at Syracuse University and run the university's writing center. Wonderful. So horror is... Uh, is a love and a hobby, but uh, is sadly not my day job. <laughs> ben, thank you again. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking time to chat with me today. Thank you so much. All right. And that was Mr. Ben Irwin. Again, what a just fantastic guest. I mean, if you get a chance, please take a look at this WordPress. Uh, you, can, you can find the link to it on his Twitter. And again, that is at Isolation Horror. And now, coming back to the show, we've got one of our one of our favorites. I don't know if I say why one of our favorites. I don't even know if he's one of my favorites, but you've heard him before, and it's Mr. Brad Fuller. How's it going, Brad? Welcome back, man. It's great. I, I'm definitely their favorite. <laughs> but happy New Year to you. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, it's freezing cold, uh, snowing right now, and uh, up here in the frozen north of Ohio, it's cold. We, I think, are going to have some uh, snow uh, showers here in the Atlanta area later this week. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that actually means snow. I don't know if that means it's going to look like snow and then it's going to hit the ground and like subsequently melt. I don't know. I don't know. But none of that and all of it rather pales in comparison to what you're dealing with up in, you know, Canada where you live right now. So, you know, surprisingly mild this year. I mean, we've had two dustings that didn't even last a full day so far, which is very surprising. So we'll see. It's been, they predicted it to be a bad winter, but not yet. Well, Brad, again, I do appreciate you 
coming onto the show. I love chatting with you, obviously, because I've had you on a couple of times. I don't know. I don't know if it's because you, you give me shit. I don't know. I don't know if it's just because you're entertaining, but the movie that, that we're going to talk about, I think it like really taps into a couple sensibilities that we both have, right. As a couple, a couple guys in, you know, our, our mid thirties and um, you know, just can really, really relate to being around when this movie came about in the, in the mid nineties. And that's really to talk about the scream franchise, right? Yeah. I'm ecstatic. I love it. I get to talk about another one of my favorite franchises. I'll be a a little shorter this time, but (laughs) (laughs) now I I am curious because of the fact that I know that you've seen all four. We've, we've talked about this, like off the air. Now I know you've seen all four of these films, but what was your introduction? Did you see the original in the movie theater? How did you, how did you discover this franchise? Uh, I did see the first two actually uh, in the theaters, but I'd seen this one. I mean, I don't know if I seen it. I don't know what day I seen it, but I know it was within, you know, a week or so of it releasing. And I mean, this was just one that, I mean, the trailers were great and they hooked me and I just had to go see it. And I mean, it was, it was even from the trailers, you could kind of tell that this was a fresh start to a, you know, a horror trope that had kind of been a little stale. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying slashers are like my favorite, you know, subgenre, but this, you know, looked like it was doing new and interesting things and it did not disappoint. I completely, completely agree. And what I find interesting just based on what you had said is it refreshed a, a genre that had kind of like gone stale. I mean, you remember we were both around at kind of the the heyday of the slasher film. And then we also remember just kind of how they kind of just went down the drain, you know, in the yeah. 80s into the early 90s, they in all intents and purposes, they they fizzled away. And right. Wes Craven attempted to bring it back with Wes Craven's new nightmare, which I thought was a great movie and really serves very much as like a prequel to this film right of the self-aware type horror movie yeah that was the first one i seen when it was i was blown away by it but yeah now that you said that i wasn't even considering that that was before this but yeah definitely yeah i mean it really serves as a great like precursor to this film which is i mean i can i can i can think of a good actual actually let me not lie i can think of probably a good couple hundred but I can think of like a handful of movies that when I saw it, it it shook me to the core of like, oh, this is something more than just a movie. This is a phenomenon. This was was one of those movies that after I walked out of the theater for the rest of the day, that's what I thought about. It wasn't just like, it was pretty good. I'm going to go on with the rest of my day. Like, no, this was like, wow, that was amazing. Yeah. I assume you were probably living in Ohio at the time when this movie came out. I did. Yeah. This was before the Navy, uh, maybe by about, by about six or seven months before I joined the Navy. Okay. It was December-ish of 96. And uh, yeah, so I did go see this one at a local theater. So nothing special, just a regular old movie theater. And then I know I seen the second one in the theater as well, but I don't even remember where that was. Like you, I saw the first one in the movie theater. 
loved it, blew me away, rocked my world, got dumped by a girlfriend like a week later. Um, it's funny because I had an old girlfriend that came to this one with me, and I think I scared the hell out of her for the rest of the day talking <laughs> about this movie. I think she thought I was going to turn into a serial killer because of the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think I was I I realistically I was a lot like Randy, but I think I wanted to be like Stu and just kind of like charismatic and written to be you i mean that's you (laughs) well i and it's funny because i i've talked about this movie many a times with many people and i've I've mentioned it in a in a previous conversation even on this episode but i think why i did connect so much with this film and well this i've connected with the franchise but specifically with the first film is the the character randy i i I've always saw characters on screen like I would like to be like that person or this is somebody that that I admire this that and the other but Randy was the first character that I ever saw in film where I'm like oh shit that is me that I mean that's that's like (laughs) I like this is I've been talking about this type of shit long before this me like I always talk about rules and Mm. one of my big rules that I always talk about in films, I always talk a lot about like 80s movies, but like the whole concept of like the evil blonde and the evil mm-hmm. blonde is if you watch any 80s movie, your your high school movies is always a blonde character, whether it's like better off dead, whether it's pretty in pink, whether it's um, uh, well, shit, anything James Spader was ever in in the 1980s. Right. All right. of your your high school movies the bad guy had blonde hair, right? It was just one of those tropes that existed. So I always talked about different tropes and one of them was like the evil blonde guy and horror movies always had their trope. And one of the things that we always knew about is the fact that don't have sex, never ever have sex because if you're gonna have sex, you're, you're fucking dead. Right. And when that scene happens in scream, it was just like, like, holy shit they've they've recorded my life they they, they've (laughs) literally heard my conversations in uh that have actually taken place because i I finally found a character that just wasn't somebody that i kind of like empathized with i saw my actual like mirror reflection on camera and it was just it was was so good i was sad when they killed him i was happy with (sighs) the with bringing him back with the with the pre-recorded message for the trilogy rules um but i mean yeah just the the everyone's a suspect and the constant you know the meta of the movie is yeah. just you know this uh, is, is everything about it is what i love and hopefully that'll continue with this new one i hope out. so I, I think that's one thing that they've done really really well within the franchise and obviously you know um jamie kennedy's character was was perfect with that within the first one second one the third film it's not the best. It's not the best. And it's, it's, it's some it's easy different writer. I yeah. Mean, different writer, different writer entirely. Well, Kevin Williamson. I mean, this was like his first big project. And for him, for me, for like from here, I followed like all his other stuff. I was, I, I hate to admit this in front of the internet, but I was a Dawson's Creek fanboy for a while. Uh, mm, yeah, I did like a lot of the other that. stuff he did. But. No, 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 no. And I've got some fun. I've got some fun inside uh, trivia or not trivia, but I got some inside scoop stuff for you. Mm-hmm. I I love Dawson's Creek as well. Actually, one of my uh, one of my un- one of my screenwriting mentors when I was an undergrad, 
his name is Jeffrey Stepakoff. He was one of the writers for Dawson's Creek. He, okay. he was one of, he was one of, he was a screenwriting uh, professor that I had in college mm-hmm. and he, I, I owe uh, shit. I owe him everything. Quite frankly, he got me, he, he wrote a really, really charming letter of recommendation for like, for me to get into grad school where I got into Carnegie Mellon. And he's always been very, very positive on things that I wrote, but he himself was a, uh, a screenwriter. He worked for Dawson's Creek. He worked for uh, Felicity and a couple of those other shows that would have existed in that, in that time frame. So, I mean, this all does go back to Kevin Williamson at the end of the day. So I also like to think that I'm like a six degrees of like Kevin Bacon slash like for like Kevin Williamson that I'm connected to him one way or another, because yeah, you're like two degrees from Kevin Williamson. Like you I, can, I, I know I'm two degrees from to, Kevin Williamson. If you needed to reach out to him. You could do it. You know? I could. All right. So I already know the answer to the original question. So I'll, I'll skip that, which is, you know, in, in quintessential screen fashion, do you like scary movies? But I guess my question for you is what is your favorite scary movie? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that. Then uh, ask, what is your favorite scream movie? There's aspects of all of them that I really enjoy. Sure. I love the the double fake out in Scream Four, you know, and ah, uh, uh, I mean, I gotta go with the original. Ian. The original. I, gotta stick, I gotta stick with the original. I, I don't know that any any of the others eclipsed it. Yeah, um, yeah. But my favorite horror movie in general is probably. Evil Dead. Evil Dead? The original yeah. Evil Dead too. The original. The original, yeah. Before it turned into a comedy. Right. The comedy stuff is great, but I consider that a separate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there's there's lots of them I like. And <clears throat> speaking of like the Scream franchise is, I feel like this, this is a level franchise. It doesn't severely drop off after the first movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of almost is like a continuation. It's almost like one whole story, at least with the first three for sure. And I think that's the first time we had seen like a uh, horror, keep the same director, keep the same major characters and keep a formula that worked mm-hmm. yet still make it interesting, you know, over four movies and not just, I mean, if you look at IMDb, the ratings are almost consistent. You know, whereas normally you're like, oh, this one's a 7.5 and then everyone else is a three and below, right. <laughs> you know, and yeah, and I think I think it Scream set up a formula for horror that, you know, other franchises were able to, you know, we can take the same basic concept, change a little bit to keep it fresh. Like you have, you know, like Saw or Final Destination. You know, those are movies that are consistent across the franchise for the most part. Obviously, they have their dips. But yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a horror formula that Scream kind of set up to be like, like, no, we can, you don't have to go crazy and take it to space and take it to New York and take it everywhere else, you know? <laughs> you know? I like that both of those were like Nightmare and Elf, or rather Friday the 13th references. Take him, take Jason to space, take Jason well, critters to... Too. Remember when Critters went to space? No, nobody does. No, I didn't see that one. Critters going critters to space. Four or whatever, but yeah, no, don't watch that one. But, but when you but, said take him to New York, Jason takes Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the, one of the, like, the greatest all-time great kills, though, is Jason like uppercutting the box 
boxer and then oh, i love the yeah yeah the yeah i love that and the in the sauna rock and you know jason <laughs> x is is fun for its own way too right and, right you know but but yeah but it's still it's still not a great movie it's fun it's good but it's not i don't know i, I don't think any other franchise like I said, other than maybe the ones I mentioned are as consistent as this. Yeah. And I think what you just said is something that I really want to go back to is that idea of it being a great movie, right? Because for the longest time, we've recognized that slasher movies are just, with limited exceptions, they're, they're shit films. We, we watch them because they're enjoyable. But you can count on your digits good slasher films right yeah, Whether it was anybody original. anybody can watch a slasher even if they've never seen it before and just based on the timing and the music you can jump scare all right this is the killer's about to jump out or right? mm-hmm. sometimes they'll flip it around on you and you know let's jump scare when i didn't think it was going to be and you know this one really said now we're gonna flip it all upside down you don't even know what's happening yeah <clears throat> so yeah. i have to ask you question too oh please in any of the screams or the first one especially did you figure out the killer and were you correct in any of them so i would have been correct in i was 50 percent correct in the first one the second one 100 correct in the third one and 100 incorrect in the fourth one Okay. Yeah. I, I, the, the, I mean, I never expected two killers. Yeah. In the yeah. first one. In the second one, it wasn't as shocking. Yeah. But. I figured out in the, the first one without, without giving like specific, like I, I recognize that if you're listening to this, you probably have seen this film, but I still don't want to say this was the killer. That was the killer. But, um, the, the, the more jovial killer in the first film. I, I knew instantly and here actually fuck it. This will be a spoiler because I had seen hackers and I'm like, Oh yeah, he's definitely going to be the killer. Just it, he, he's going to be Lillard because of the, the wacky, like, yeah, because of the wacky movements and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just, the movements, the Pratt falls and everything. I'm like, it's going to be him. Which is this, great. Cause that wasn't even him in the costume. That I know. Was I know. It, it, <laughs> yeah. Know, but. It just it just made sense. The second one, um, the it, it was just too obvious that it was going to be kind of the the buddy of the main guy, you know, like the, so. so I'm like, oh, it's going to be him again. So it wasn't Laurie Medcalf that you figured out. It was no, the, I did not figure out Laurie yeah, Medcalf. I, at I all. didn't. I didn't either. And that was a, still a weird thing to me to like. I remember rewatching it again this October, and I'm like, I still forgot that you know the girl from Roseanne is the killer of Scream. You know, that's you know weird. what's funny is Catherine, my wife, she's seen these movies several times. She forgets who the killers are like every year, like every time we watch it. <laughs> so it's always a new surprise, Perfect. and it's always like a new surprise of like I'm so fucking envious of that, like the fact that you forget every year. Yeah, the only one she ever remembers is Scream Three. She only How remembers you the first one, you know, <laughs> but like it's but she yeah. forgets. she's like, wait, she always thinks it's Jamie Kennedy. Like, I'm like, no, like, no, it's not. But I, I, I see why. But it's just so funny. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, I agree. It's it, it, yeah. It's, I love that everyone's a suspect. And you never know what's going on, and I feel like they're going to do that again in the in the next in the new one. And I just hope that they do it justice. Yeah. Are you are you going to see the new film? Um. You know, I haven't been to the theater in an awful long time. Is this? I think it's theaters only too. So mm-hmm. I might have to uh, 
venture out to a theater. I have a nice one in town here that's got the reclining seats and stuff. So I think you should do it. I think you should do it. But it's great that everybody's coming back again. And usually by now, there will be at least one actor who was arguing over some money or something and yep. would have said, no, I'm not coming back. Or maybe because they got divorced, you're not going to do this now. Or the but fact no, that Wes Craven, unfortunately, you know, has passed away and everything. So you don't even yeah. have the original director, you know, back. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, Scream 4 was his last film. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great that Kevin Williamson is back, you know, for the, for the writing element. So we're going to... it. You know, we'll hopefully, hopefully, well, and we'll see, we'll see if this one still is able to capture that same nuance. Yeah, I mean, what are we going to do new? I mean, that's my question: is what are we going to do new? Uh, no, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what twist they throw at us. But like, yeah. Yeah, my favorite thing is I love the I love the lines. I love the the self referential stuff. I love the yeah. the references to all the other horror movies. I love the you know. The first one is, but the rest suck, you know, with Nightmare <laughs> Elm Street. And then, you know, go to the McKenzie's house down the street and uh, don't fear the Reaper playing when Billy comes in the room. And, you know, all those like callbacks and yeah. Jamie Kennedy saying, no, Jamie, look, look behind you when the killer's yeah. actually behind him. And, and he's you know, Jamie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, his name's Jamie. Her name's Jamie. I, I love all that little stuff. And I hope they, they put some more stuff like that in because that was always fun. It's so good. It's so good. Now, my friend, I because I know that you love a good quiz. Do you want to do you want to do a little quiz this evening? Um, sure, I guess. Okay. Yeah, let's, let's do, I'm not going to say no. I'm not. Right. I might not do well, but I, will I think not you're going to do better than you think. Okay. What are the rules that are outlined in the original Scream film? Um, in order to oh. successfully survive a horror film, what are the rules? Well, there are well three. We, have, we already talked about don't have sex. Okay. Um, um, we have never say I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's the third one. And I think I yep. missed the middle one. Um, don't drink alcohol. Don't yeah. drink. You definitely don't yep. drink or you don't do drugs. That's right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Question two. Um, you've already kind of answered this, but who is the original Scream Queen? Well, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis. Can you, um, can what can, other than Halloween? Can you name any other films that she was a final, the final girl in? Prom night. Okay. Um, I know another one. It's not coming to me. Uh, Terror um, Train was another one that she was okay. in. Yep. Pretty sure. Did there's you see another. the most recent version of Halloween? Is that good? Off topic. I, I did. I did see. I haven't seen I, Kills. I've seen the other one. I haven't seen Kills. So I saw Halloween, what was it, 2018? Mm-hmm. And then I saw Halloween Kills mm-hmm. not too long ago. Is it worth you, seeking out? Um, t- Halloween Despite 20, the title saying Halloween Kills, and we know there's another one. So, And then the next one will be Halloween Ends. Yeah. <laughs> the... So the 2018 Halloween, real big fan of. Now, it's tricky because of the fact that they're reinventing the uh, the franchise. So basically, it's Halloween 2018 mm-hmm. as if 
no Halloween movie existed beyond right. the original Halloween. And yeah. it, it's it's tough when you've had 10 movies and you're you reinventing. Gotta, you gotta say which ones count again and which ones don't. Exactly. Like, like, you're asking not real, but but that, but you know, but one and three are one and two are, but not four, five, or six, but seven is. Yeah. You're asking a lot of the audience, you know, like yeah. just try to figure out like, wait, which ones count, which ones don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, admittedly, because this is my my shtick, I'm all about. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm on board. But you're asking a lot of the audience to recognize that this movie counts, that movie doesn't count, that movie doesn't count, this doesn't that was a remake, but that doesn't count, that was a remake of that one, and that doesn't count. You know, so just that whole idea of not even suspension of disbelief, but just suspension of their existence, you know, like everything you know. None it's like Michael Myers is already dead. She chopped his head off. Like, no, yeah. no, he's not. Nope. <laughs> you know, nope. nope. Doesn't nope, matter. They don't count. Yeah. <laughs> Which Kevin Williamson worked on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, and... yeah, bringing it back to me, stop me derailing you. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. It's okay. But so <laughs> I keep forgetting Halloween 2018 was good. Halloween. Just talking. <laughs> yeah. Halloween Kills was fun if you just want mass carnage. That was probably the 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 largest head count of any slasher film, I think, was the most. I mean, so if you just want, if you want Michael Myers just going ham, then it's worth watching. Okay, sure. Because he kills everybody. But nice. um, all right, I don't even know what question I was on. But anyway, I know I've got three. another question. Three, three. Okay. So, ooh, okay. Um, do you know Deputy Dewey's actual name? Yes, but no, because <laughs> I know once you say it, I will have heard it, but not okay. off the top of my head. So his last name is Riley because it was Tatum Riley, right? That was his Riley, sister. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Dewey's first name is actually Dwight. Yeah. Dewey was like a nickname. Yeah. yeah. Dwight Riley is Dwight Deputy Riley. Dewey's yeah. or now Sheriff Riley's name. Oh, yeah. He got promoted finally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, without you don't have to say their names. If you say their names, so be it. But how many killers in the franchise have there been thus far? Seven. Seven. Boom, you didn't even have to like hesitate. Yeah, seven is the correct answer. Mm-hmm. Well done, yep. sir. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was a, I was a little off, but that's all right. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I didn't get like I said. I told you that listeners don't know. I didn't get to rewatch three and four because couldn't find them. I don't have Showtime at the moment. That's the only mm. place I could find four. And yeah. yeah, yeah. There's too many streaming services. I can't have them all. But Brad, I mean, we've been chatting for a little bit, and I apologize. If there's anything that that you have in your notes and you that you'd want to cover this evening please let me know one thing the, the last thing that i wrote down on my notes is i mean something that still hasn't been done a whole lot but it kind of goes back to what i've said about the self-awareness i love that scream one did the top billing of drew barrymore and put her on the poster and then killed her in the first like five minutes to just show you like wow like i don't even know what i'm watching anymore like i thought she was the character like you didn't expect her to die and i that was the i mean that's what sets the scene right from the beginning you're like wow i have no idea what to expect in this movie now and that i think is what grabs you in the first you know few minutes and just hooks you to this movie because you're like wow what's going on i don't even know 
I completely agree. It, it It's so genius, but it's also one of the things that I don't want to say has hurt the franchise, but it's almost kind of like that M. Night Shyamalan element yeah. where now they think they have to M. Night's going to have a twist at the end. Now, <clears> when you see a Scream movie, you're gonna have to have you're gonna have to up the stakes. In that yeah, first so act. the first character is gonna die now. So we had Cotton in the, you know, the third one, I guess. Then we had the fake out, fake out, you know, double in the fourth one. That was great. Yeah. Do you want do you want to like repaint that scene, or you want me to do it just for the for those that maybe who was the who was the opening before that? Who was the first kill in two? Oh, I don't remember. That was Jada Pinkett. That was Jada Pinkett. Oh yeah, J- and ORS. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Omar Epps. There's so many big actors in this series, yeah, that I didn't even realize until like rewatching them and looking them up again. And um, you want to recap it? So it opens with um, two girls that I don't remember in the first clip, um, and they're talking about what torture porn or yeah, like horror John and and how they hate how gory it is. And then go ahead, take over from there. I know Anna Paquin comes in the second one, right. but the first one, right. I don't, yeah. And okay. so, <laughs> what's really funny is we have two different intros to a couple different stab movies, which the stab franchise are these movies that are based on the Gail Weathers novels of the events that took place in Woodsboro. And so, Scream Four opens up with these two girls watching. Stab five. Watch stab and five. Yeah. <laughs> so the movie Scream Four opens up with these two girls watching Stab Five. Mm-hmm. And they essentially inevitably watch uh, a murder sequence. And they turn off the movie. They themselves yeah. get murdered. Yeah. And then we go to two other people watching a movie. And that is stab six. What we just watched, those two girls getting killed when the phone call was stab six, right? Right. And then, and then yeah, those, those two girls are Kristen Stewart or Kristen Bell and Anna Paquin. Yeah, in, in the next sequence. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then Kristen Bell kills Anna Paquin. And then we find out that was actually not scream for that was stab seven right yeah, yeah. And, and then <laughs> right so we, we basically see so six, then we start with two more girls and we're like is this the real movie yeah, yeah. and yeah and essentially what you know and we've kind of butchered it but we basically see six six characters get killed in like the first 10 minutes of a movie and yeah and scream four does have like double the death count of the others it does so, not even even not counting that part but there's a lot more kills in four but and, and, and you know scream four really does a great job of bringing back the i don't know the the life force if you will maybe that's a bad bad, bad pun but of the original film and at least maybe the second one it felt more natural to what the Scream movies were about and right. the the tragedy of Scream 4 it was far and away the all albeit potentially the second finest reviewed of the bunch the least mm-hmm. seen of all four right. yeah because i mean we like we already talked about, you're trained in your head of the horror franchise. 
when you see number four, you just immediately go, well, that's probably terrible and just move on. Yep. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, and only like diehard people actually like usually make it that far. You right. know, which, there isn't many franchises that are still good after that many, you know, which is a genius maneuver by the filmmakers for this one, not to call it scream five, but it's just, just to scream. revitalize it, just calling it scream. You know, right. Like, I mean, it's kind of like Halloween. Like they just called the new one Halloween again. Yeah. So like, you know, we're starting over. This is a brand new one. Mm-hmm. So, but, but I don't think this one is a brand new one. This is actually 25 years later in film time as well. Exactly. But I've read about it. I haven't looked into it too much. Yep. I, I've, I've seen the basic, the basic like trailer, but I, 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 I don't want to know anything about this movie going in, like going into it. The, the less I know about it, the more excited I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to feel. Yeah, I read a little bit today, um, but Fuck then you. I no, you know, <laughs> mostly because I clicked on it by accident. <laughs> I thought I was clicking on screen one. Right. So I was reading some trivia and I was like, wait a minute <laughs> that I. Uh, yeah. So I, I didn't read anymore, but that's all I know. So I'm excited. I, it should be good. I hope it's good. Me too. Um, Me I too. feel like the, the, the actor. Yeah, I mean, it's the highest rated of the series so far with the early reviews. I mean, coming out, it's got like a 7.9 right now. Um, and, you know, I've seen some Wes Craven will be proud type comments and stuff about it. So, I mean, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure I'm sure the actors wouldn't have agreed to come back if the script was trash. Right. I'm sure they would they would read it and be like, OK, this is doing justice. You know, yeah. we'll 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 do it now. Which is kind of where four was as well, because four was like 12 years after three or something like that. It was a long time after. Yeah, it was a good 10 or 11 years after Scream 3. Right. Yeah, because it was supposed to be a trilogy. And, you know, I don't know if it was money or, you know, I think Wes Craven said he's only going to do a fourth if the screenplay is just as good as one. And, you know, obviously, I guess it was. Yeah. Well, now we'll find out how uh, the new screen film is. Brad, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I don't give. I don't want to give you too much to edit. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate <laughs> it. This is already going to be a pretty toothy episode as is. But originally, I wanted to do maybe a Scream One, Scream Two, Scream Three, Scream Four. But I just I felt maybe just celebrating this franchise just might be a fun kind of yeah. fun approach just to kickstart the the new year. That's probably the right one. Yeah. 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 Because again, we're back to movies that you you probably seen them already. Yeah, but at the same time, you don't listen to podcasts about movies you haven't seen, do you? I guess maybe. I mean, not no, I don't. Well, I'll finish the podcast and I'll talk to you for a sec. All right, all right, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, thank you uh, for for listening. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have another guest. I think we'll find out. I don't know. This this will probably be edited one way or another. But um, no, uh, Brad, thank you, thank you very much for for speaking with us this evening. This has been a lot of fun, and please take a look at the the new screen film because I would love to see what your inputs are, what your thoughts are your summation, all of that good shit. And um, we'll talk to you later, buddy. All right. Appreciate it. Bye, everybody. And now our final guest of this particular episode, we've got somebody that I think I've met maybe six, seven months. And granted, when I say met, met over the over the interwaves, uh, this gentleman reached out to me on this, uh, this really, really cool upstart streaming platform called Stream Lounge IO, in which people can have watch parties with, uh, and you can, see just about anything with your friends. It's kind of like 
words with friends, but movies with friends. I don't know. I don't know a better way to phrase it, but we've got Mr. Sean Coleman. Awesome, awesome guy. You're going to love him. And let's uh, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Sean? Hey, great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome to be here. Yeah. Reached out because, uh, you know, I loved uh, the Stamper Cinema, uh, you know, brand and pod that you were putting out here and uh, wanted, to, wanted to get involved with you. And uh, definitely, definitely have not been uh, disappointed at all. So, well, thank you. I really yeah. do appreciate it. One of these I was... days we'll have to actually meet in person. I know. And, you know, yeah. have a drink I'll... in a movie or something. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. I'll get out there one day or another. Uh, Vice versa, you know. Well, yeah. So, whereabouts are you located again? Uh, I'm north of San Francisco now. I'm up near, I'm, I'm in Napa. Uh, okay. So. You uh, get out to any of like the uh, the vineyards at all? I do, uh, you know, probably not as often as I should. Like, uh, you know, I should be there like every weekend, but I don't, uh, you know. But yeah, every once in a while I go out there, you know, once, twice a month. Awesome. What is your kind of like, what is your go-to wine? You know, I, I don't have a go-to wine. I, I like them all. Okay. <laughs> you know, different different occasions, uh, you know, um, you know, what, be it a Pinot or, you know, could be, you know, like a Riesling, could be, you know, anything. Uh, right. All over all over yeah awesome well we are here today to talk about scream (laughs) of course and i guess the first question i've got for you is when were you introduced to this franchise so i saw scream the original in the theaters as a very impressionable teenage boy and uh you know i came to it as already a horror fan right uh you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, a horror fan, you know, Fangoria and, uh, you know, even Famous Monsters, uh, you know, loved, loved all that. And then, um, to be honest, uh, to, you know, the 90s were kind of start, not not the greatest traditional horror. Like a lot of the steam had come come out of at least the energy from the population. Uh, I, I think there was some great horror made, but uh, wasn't the 80s, wasn't the 70s and, you know, things like that. Right. Uh, and of course... You know, Scream came and just blew blew my mind. Uh, you know, it, it it reinvented everything and uh, you know made me fall in love with it. Uh, I'm a huge haunted house guy, um, actually. I like haunted attractions. Um, right. And uh, I remember, it, I think it was that year. Uh, went down to Knott's Scary Farm, and like you know, Knott's Berry Farm hires like a thousand actors and puts like a bunch of haunted houses in every year. And they had this one scene where uh, you know, on top of the movie blowing my mind, it was like. I walked in and you kind of like had a projector in your face and they just had a whole movie theater filled with people in the scream costume and like three or four guys jumping out at you in there. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was also fun. But yeah. uh, no, uh, you know, it just, it really changed things. And I mean, you could watch from there, you can draw a direct line from there to basically the next decade of horror, at least, you know, uh, every you know film had something to, you know, kind of lean back on there. You know, so Yeah, for sure. Now I assume you've seen all four of them. I've seen all four. I have yet to see five. Okay. So, okay. Yes. Or uh, 2022, excuse me. Right. Yeah. Scream 2022. Yeah. Uh, because marketing you know, like the- Halloween, we have to just name it the same name and put a year at the end. You know? Exactly. Now it's just yeah. all about the, yeah, the, the phrase, the requel, if you will, you know, just <laughs> yes. like a reboot sequel. Right. Right. Like Halloween obviously did that. And now Scream's doing that as well. Although arguably four did that too. Right. I mean, you know, it, it had been what, you know, since three to four was at least 10 years, maybe even yeah. longer. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's completely, you know, re redid Scream, you know, it was still, you know, linear in terms of time, but it, mm-hmm. you know, brought it back, I think. And certainly 2022 wouldn't have happened without the success of that. Sure. So, yeah. Sure. Now, would you be able to like rank your, your, your favorite Scream to your least favorite? 
I can. It, it, it is a little hard. I mean, obviously the favorite, I think everyone's is Scream. You know, just the original. You know, it's it, beyond a doubt that is, you know, the best far and away. Um, I'd say that the second, originally when I saw four, I wasn't that big of a fan, to be honest. But it's grown on me mm-hmm. quite a bit. And uh, I actually think, you know, it, it solves a lot of the issues that three brings up. So four, maybe by a nose as the second, and then part two as the third. And then, uh, you know, just, just like I think most people, part three is the, 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 the last one. But again, I will defend it, actually. I think it's actually not as bad as people think. It, it was flawed in a lot of ways and, you know, kind of doomed from a production standpoint as well as... Uh, some cultural issues that happened right then. So now speaking of cultural issues, I don't, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know. Are you referring kind of the, the fact that it was, it wasn't too much longer after like Columbine? Or... Yeah. Yeah. Columbine really kind of, you know, especially since uh, a lot of the media at that time, you know, were playing, Oh, they played violent video games and things like that. And of course, you know, rounded back to, you know, Stu and Billy, you know, they, you know, they kind of had that there, although, you know, that was much more satire. I mean, yeah. I would make the argument Stu and Billy were just, you know, psychopaths that, yeah. you know, use that as an excuse, really. Uh, and probably, uh, you know, the same way, I guess, maybe the Columbine kids could have, although I don't know that they, I don't remember if they used that as an excuse or that was just the media imprinting on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, Columbine happened, you know, during production or, you know, just before production started. And of course, uh, you know, that that had, had to change everything. And, you know, from cutting all the gore out to, you know, uh, changing uh, the killer, even, uh, you know, the original story that, uh, well, also, of course, uh, what's his name? The writer, uh, Williamson, right? Um, Originally, yeah. So he he didn't do that. It was Aaron Kruger. Kruger. Yeah. Kruger, yes. <laughs> Hard to forget that one. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, uh, he was busy, uh, you know, being successful with Dawson's Creek and all, all everything else that he was doing. Uh, but he had written a draft, I think, or, you know, an outline at least. And mm-hmm. uh, it was actually going to be Stu returning. Yeah, he, his, his death was somewhat ambiguous in the first one. I mean, you know, the TV falls on him, but right. you know, the, the story was going to be that he had survived and gone to jail. And I don't know, Interesting. for some reason, was never brought up in part two. But, <laughs> um, but he was actually going to be the one who comes back as the ringleader, not this like random character that no one had ever met and was kind of meek the entire movie quite frankly yeah you're you're <laughs> yeah. referring well without without spoilers but yes. the yeah. yeah spoiler free reviews i guess exactly I it. yes, it, yes. It, it is interesting when they they did the the killer for scheme uh, scream three and kind of like the the backstory and one thing that i, I don't know like it, it's hard to find a horror trilogy but yeah. you know, they they reference trilogies you know this sure. is kind of like a b- big component but and even when they introduce like randy back into it kind of like establishing the rules for scream three we talk a lot about star wars you know we talk yeah. a lot about star wars in this movie we talk a lot about godfather 2 none of, you know neither of those are you know in the the horror genre so i mean you i don't know uh it, it just i mean again you don't have a lot of options but i think dialogue wise it was something that i was like nah man now you're you're kind of you're kind of losing me you're, you're losing the horror movie rules now you're just talking about like random movie tropes which could have worked if you would have framed it that way but definitely yeah i mean to your point you know i can't think of anyone where the third one is actually related in any way i mean you know 
the Friday the 13th are very vaguely related to, you know, anything, of course, uh, you know, Halloween three, which I love. Yes. But people hate it because it doesn't have Michael Myers in it. It's so funny how that movie's taken on a new life over over years, because when that movie came out, people were like, what the fuck? You know, like, it's not Michael Myers, you know, like what, what, what's going on? And the movie, it seems like it was just lambasted, you know, like for forever. And now it just seems in the past five plus years, the movie's really kind of like grown again. I don't know if that has anything to do with a uh, uh, Darcy from a uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, definitely, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely, it's definitely getting, you know, some more steam. Maybe, I don't know, maybe also because AMC uh, rolls it out every like October or something like that for their, like their fear fest, but sure. But yeah, no, they're, they're, but to your point, you know, like there, there is no good horror trilogy that comes to mind. Right. Like, I mean, psycho three certainly isn't there mm-hmm. you know like anyone that has a three you know halloween yeah you know, the you know nightmare on elm street you know uh, certainly wes's opinion at least uh, as well right. as they went downhill very quickly mm-hmm. um but uh, you, know, did, I, you know the third one was army of darkness yeah which was fun but i mean again army of darkness can pretty much be a standalone movie it kind of sums yep. up what happens in one slash two which is mm-hmm arguably the same film but not anyway right, right. <laughs> and, and you know the first five minutes of the movie and you're like okay now we're in go you know maybe, like, maybe evil dead 2 might be the original requel right yes like, yeah <laughs> uh and then what was it the exorcist 3 exorcist was, 3 was great but yeah um maybe, maybe that's the one i mean that that's that's probably you know it was arguably much better than two yeah um, um but uh you know that's probably the one and breaks also the sequel trope because uh the sequel you know sequels usually are worse than the first but uh there is kind of the the you know the comparisons get made even in scream to godfather and star wars right, right? like yeah. where, uh, scream 2 they they reference those yeah. yeah yeah i mean the second one in those two trilogies is arguably the strongest uh, entry certainly from a film standpoint mm-hmm. so we Scream, I don't think so. I think I think they tried, you know, there were th- that one was also plagued by, um, I think the script leak on the internet, you know, early days of the internet. And, right. uh, you know, a lot of rewrites had to happen around uh, who the killer's killer was or the reveal of the killer and things like that. There also, I, the thing that always kills me is that that first death, the knife through the stall. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's always the dumbest thing that always drives me crazy. I'm like, oh, what if he looked over the stall? Number one. Number two. Driving a knife through that would be insanely difficult to also mm-hmm. kill somebody. But I mean, you know, plausibility just goes really like out the window. I, I think I did mention this in another segment, but the the whole opening segment with Heather Graham, you know, the movie stab, knowing everything that transpired from that and the original screams like. The only people that would be able to tell this are already dead. Like, how do you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, knowing about the phone call and all that. And, yeah. You know, but, and you know, it plays it, as it, a meta commentary or attempted exactly. to. I mean, it doesn't play it as well as the first. But, you know, to your point, yeah, the, the second one starts to lose it a bit. But I think the interesting thing is, and this was brought up by, um, uh, actually, I, I don't know if you ever watch uh, Ryan Hollinger on YouTube, but uh, he kind of mm-hmm. does all these like horror commentaries. Highly recommend his channel. Uh, on like you know breaking down film as a you know just a true like hardcore film nerd but uh he does the analysis on the original scream um and uh it's about the temporal logic and how much care wes plays to like making sure you understand 
like time and space mm-hmm. and you know how it all actually could be real and he hints at things like you know which killer it is you know like for instance when sid runs up and you know does the call via the computer when she's being attacked and how you know billy shows up right away like we're in a real world he couldn't have gone from there to there but you know they still hint that he's the killer but they're showing that like that wasn't him right you know mm-hmm. in your mind you know that you know, it's just because of the time and space of the, the whole thing. So definitely would check that out. But um, they don't do that as well in two, for sure. Right. Uh, and by three, you know, it was just a, a hot mess <laughs> of studio involvement and, uh, you know, all types of craziness, you know, Jay and Silent Bob showing up. <laughs> the, the most random thing <laughs> yeah. ever, right? Jay and Silent Bob, like, showing their, I mean, and they're... There's just so much of, about that film that I, I just completely rule my eyes out. One thing that I think the movie just gets just completely spot on is Parker Posey doing yes. uh, oh. doing Courtney Cox's Gail Weathers. It, it's just it's gold. That's the it, best part. Yeah. Mm, one yeah. of you know, and Grant Parker Posey has been nothing but phenomenal her entire career. Right. But that performance is like in my top five. Like everything that she's ever done, she's done some amazing stuff. It's just. She was just so good and just a weird form of levity in a movie that's already like a horror comedy, but she was just, just so good. Well, and I think that, that was that movie's downfall, right? It was like, you know, the, the studio knew that Scream had co- comedic aspects and, you know, c- certainly, you know, that started in you know, the original Scream and then the Scream 2, but, you know, they didn't understand that, you know, the satire wasn't the comedy, right? It was, you know, the fact that it was just, you know, funny. I mean, Stu is my, one of my favorite characters of all time, you know, and Matthew Lillard's awesome and just about everything he does. But, mm. you know, that, that character is just so amazing. And Randy, you know, um, just, you know, kills it, the, you know, in both yeah. screams. And then, you know, they kind of just tried to pigeonhole and push too much comedy without there also being the danger factor. I mean, you know, Scream 1 and 2 are gory. I mean, Scream 4 is really gory. (laughs) Like, uh, Scream 3, almost all the kills are off camera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I read somewhere, like, where the the first film had, like, 50 gallons of, like, fake blood. Yeah. Scream 3, there was, like, less than, like, 10 gallons of, like, fake blood. Yeah, I I don't know if it was KMB, but KMB did the first one, and I think the second one. Um, you know, if, if we go into the effects nerd route, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of the, the preeminent, uh, house now, but they were coming up in the nineties and, uh, you know, they, they, they did a lot of great, uh, effects work and, uh, Greg Nicotero, who of course now walking dead famous, uh, you know, is, is the, is you know, the, the main blood guy, I think over there is my understanding. Yeah. So he, he loves the blood. Have I ever told you my, uh, my Greg Nicotero story? No, I would love a Greg Nicotero story. For grad school, I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. And fantastic program. I will be paying my student loans off for the next, I think, like 153 years, something yeah, yeah. thereabouts. But <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. But it was great. I, I loved yeah. it. You know, wonderful experience. But after grad school, my now wife and I, we we moved down to the uh, the Atlanta area. And it was early in the days of The Walking Dead when everybody was walking watching The Walking Dead, right? And I think it was a season two, maybe season three premiere. I think it was a season three premiere. But we were at our like local dive place every Sunday night. They would show The Walking Dead. And who walks in but Stephen Yoon, Greg Nicotero. Oh, and wow. A bunch <laughs> of people like behind the scenes. And nobody like recognized him. But I, I looked over, I'm like, that's fucking, that's Glenn right there. And that's Greg Nicotero. Holy shit. You know, like, I, I'm like, I, <laughs> 
have to go say something yeah. to that. And I went over, like introduced myself, Steven Yoon, super, super nice, uh, a, a little nerdy, but like really, really nice guy. But I introduced myself to Greg Nicotero and we were chatting for a couple seconds and then a couple seconds turned into like basically the entire episode. Cause I mentioned that I went to Carnegie Mellon. He's Hometown, from Pittsburgh yep. Yep. and you know, he knows all about that. And we, we just spent about an hour talking about living in, uh, in Pittsburgh and just everything that he's been doing and like how he got into the, like, like the industry and, you know, a lot of conversations about, um, Georgia Romero. And oh, yeah. it, it was, it was completely surreal. I'm like, holy shit. I can't believe I'm having this conversation <laughs> with Greg Nicotero. And I don't really remember what happened that episode, but it doesn't even matter. I mean, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, a really, really horrible grainy photo of, of he and I hanging out. Uh, it's like to the point where you can't, like, it was like early days, like iPhones, you know, like the, the, the cameras were trash, but well, he's got his eighties rocker hair anyway, just kind of make it more like eighties style and, you know, just, you know, faded and you know everything like that. It's funny because in fact, I don't think he's cut his hair since like that image, like, cause his hair was kind of short in the picture. Now it's like super long <laughs> and everything. And so it just kind of like dates like where he was in, in, in that time and frame. But anyway, a little uh, side subject. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I could talk, you know, Romero, Nicotero and all that, you know, maybe, maybe a different time. I, yeah. I'll go down that horror you know, hole <laughs> and, uh, effects and all that. But uh, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, he, he's the real deal. He's, he, you know, truly nice guy. And, you know, kind mm-hmm. of exactly what you did is how he met George Romero, right? Like, right. You know, so, um, you know, it's great to hear that, uh, you know, he, he definitely is, you know, knows, you know, the, it hasn't let it all go to his head and just a, yeah. just a cool guy. So. Yeah. Just really, really cool guy. You got to like get him on the pod. He never does any podcasts. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I'll just send him a picture of when we met. I'm like, Hey, remember this? Well, I've got a podcast. You want to come on talk? Yeah, that won't happen, but, yeah. but you never know. You never know. Let's talk about Pittsburgh. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Let's not talk movies. Yeah. We're yeah. not going to talk yeah. movies. We're just going to yeah. talk about like dive bars that you used to go to in Pittsburgh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be very interesting, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Um, I don't know where we were, but, but yeah. So, so uh, can you, you know, I think we were talking about the gore factor, and right. you know, because mm-hmm. that's where KMB came from, or didn't come from. They they were around in the eighties and you know things like that, but uh, in the nineties is when they really started to be their own effects house, and of course came up through Scream. But by Scream three, yeah, I mean, and it was a factor of the studio. I think you know, Wes, I'm sure hated you know the fact that they didn't let him have the gore that he wanted, and but it's needed in the screen. You know, you need to have that danger, right? It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the monster squad and that, like, you know, you, you can't dumb it down. You know, right. the monster squad was perfect because like it, it had the scary factor. It had, you know, everything. Yeah. You know, another movie I could go on for hours about, but uh, you know, if you dumbed it down and try to make it something, you know, digestible to all the audiences then it just wouldn't work. And unfortunately that's what scream was. Although, you know, a lot of the complaints, I don't think it was a bad idea to move it to LA. Like, you know, it, it was a commentary about making movies, uh, right. you know, and so L.A. is a great place to do it. And, you know, it's actually harder to make a big city scary and dangerous. Right. In, mm-hmm. in a weird way, like, you know, people already see big cities as dangerous in some ways. But at the same time, there's so many people. It's hard to be isolated, which is, of course, key to you know, horror films or danger. Typically, it wasn't all that. I mean, there are still some really redeeming factors of, of Scream Through. I, I love the. The, the callback to the the house, right? Where like right. she gets to see it like in the form of a film. And that's that's kind of that's kind of cool, you know? Yeah, definitely. And then as a film guy, you know, a, a former uh, you know, 
I went to film school for a few years before switching to majors. Uh, you know, it was fun to just, you know, anything behind the scenes and things like that. I love, and, you know, especially self-referential movies and things like that. But yeah, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't bad. Um, you know, the killing off of, uh, what's this, what's the Lee Shriver character? Yeah. Oh, cotton weary. Yeah. Cotton weary, you know, did we care about cotton that much? <laughs> like, I don't know, you know, if that was a great opening, but it was, it was well done. Like, you know, in terms of like suspense and shots and, you know, things like that. I, I just don't think that we like come to really care much over the second film for him. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. It, it, it is wild because of the fact when you look at the first three, there's what, uh, three, four, there, there are five people that are in all three of them because Leif Schreiber had a little cameo in the, the first one. Right. So he was still yeah. in, the first film had a much larger role in the second one and the third one. They, you know, they, they off them in the, that first scene. So I, I don't know. Uh, but I like him as an actor, you know, oh, which I is why, yeah, yeah. which is why I'm like, guy. I'm like, damn it, man, you know, like killing him off. But that's, I think again, just something where I'm not going to say jump the shark, you know, but yeah. one of those elements that kind of took me out was the, you can have other people's voices, you know, I, I thought was, yeah, I, you know, I get what they were trying to do and up the stakes. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, it, it comes off as a cheap way to not have to write it more cleverly. Right. right. Like, you know, like it, you know, the first one, especially, but the second one as well is, is truly a whodunit. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, even in the second one, they show, you know, the killer quite a bit, but they never show her with or them quote unquote leap with Sid, right? Like, you know, genius. Yeah. And the way, you know, it's all edited together and, you know, certainly in the first one, you, you, you know, you have no idea, right? Well, you know, you might have some idea, but they always, you know, that seeded doubt, right. That there's a ton of red herrings everywhere, uh, you know, as to who it could be. And then in the third one, you know, it just, with that thing, it, it felt like they, they just hadn't out because, okay, now it could be five different people's voice from behind the door. And, you know, you didn't have to play it, uh, you know, like, who could it be? Cause you know, you have some tech reason, you know, mm-hmm. you know it was kind of like a, a, you know, a bad sci-fi film when like, Oh yeah, we invented the whatever, whatever. So that right. we can do this. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's the yada, yada, you know, plot fix, you know? So just in the, the final uh, few minutes that we've yeah. gotcha, any, anything that you want to like call out on the, on the fourth film at all? You know, so the fourth film, like I said, when I first saw it, I was kind of like, ah, oh, they should have just let it go away, you know? And I think that's partially because I'm older, um, and, you know, it certainly was, you know, reinvigorating to a much younger audience. Um, you know, I thought, uh, what's her name? Hayden Pantier. Uh, oh, Hayden Pantier. Pantier. Yeah. You know, she did great and things like that. Um, you know, I thought the two killers would have had a heart or your or killer killers. I, you know, I keep trying to keep spoiling it. So if you haven't seen it, it's been, you know, 10 you, years. You've had, you've had but, your time. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I won't say who it's our, the they've all been ruined at this point. I'm pretty okay. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, they're a little skinny to be doing some of the things that they're doing. <laughs> um, but other than that, you know, on rewatch, I, it started to grow on me and I really appreciated, you know, the fact that if it wasn't Wes's last film, it was dang close to it. Um, and it, it really does feel like scream again. You know, it, it fits more into the original universe yeah. uh, where, you know, three started to break away and, you know, he went hard for the gore, but, you know, he also brought up the tech and, you know, but he didn't overdo it. It wasn't like the voice module, you know, the voice thing. It was, you know, the, the, you know, live streaming. He essentially was ahead of his time with like, you know, something like Justin TV or something like that. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I thought, uh, you know, it plays out well. And um, 
you know, great commentary and even the, the gag at the opening, which I originally was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, but, uh, you know, it's grown on me. I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, it's fun. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm for it. Um, you know, it's not perfect, but, right. but it, it, it's fun. It's good. It feels extreme. Uh, but, but you still would go one, four, two, three. So you do just like barely a, four. Okay, two. just barely yeah, over two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's funny that you say that, and I yeah. apologize for interrupting you. No, please. Because um, I, when I first saw four, I was I was all in. I'm like, yes, all right, this is back. This is what I wanted it. You know what I wanted it to be. So I was always like hard one, four, two, three. As I've done this rewatch this year. I'm, I'm now basically kind of like a tie on four and two, like my love, my love and appreciation for two has, has grown despite the, just some of the, I mean, the, 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 the helps. Yeah. I mean, Uh, yeah, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was, it was still relatively young into his career, but what a, what a dashing man. I love, I love him. I love him. I mean, I I was a fan ever since I saw him go, you know, and, uh, Oh my God. Yeah. 1999 go. That was great. Yeah. Uh, he, I fairly, I, I'm fairly certain that before I saw scream two, I had seen him in this Danny Boyle film that nobody, nobody ever saw. And he was, he only has like a, like a cameo in that film and it's, um, uh, life less ordinary. You, uh, you McGregor, Cameron Diaz, Killer, killer the name soundtrack. sounds familiar. I don't think I've seen it though. Yeah, it's just a movie that's kind yeah. of like fallen into obscurity. You know that people, which is really unfortunate. But like people think that when they when they think Danny Boyle, the only movie that he did in the '90s was Train Spotting. But it's just right. not true because I mean he yeah. he crushed it with a with this really really great movie that nobody talks about called Shallow Grave. And then he did that. And then Life Less Ordinary is just a fun fun '90s ride. You know, it's crazy. But anyway. Uh, Timothy Oliphant has just a small little like cameo in there. And then I saw Scream 2. I'm like, I think I saw that guy earlier this year in something else. Yeah. Well, and you know, speaking of fun 90s, right? I mean, Scream 2 is a fun 90s. I mean, obviously the first one's 90s as well, but like to me, Scream 2 just screams like peak 90s in a good, you know, nostalgic way for me. But uh, you know, it it gets a lot of extra points there. Right. Um, all right. Final question, but it should have been the first question. Sean, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, wow. You know, that's that's like, who's your favorite child? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it would be really hard to say. I mean, Scream, the original is certainly up and let's I won't name 10, but I'll say it's in the top 10. OK, uh, that with the original Dawn of the Dead, the 78. Um, mm. We'll see. Uh, you know, gosh, you know. It's too, too, too many, you know, hard you choices can, here. You can, you know, you can, I mean, you know, I, I love a lot of the, the, you know, obviously like, you know, Halloween changed things, but like, you know, I, I love the fog, maybe Ooh, only because yeah. the soundtrack, if nothing else, <laughs> uh, phantasm, you know, I, I, I love the eighties. Uh, I love where it came from in the seventies. I mean, I love the classics, right? Like I grew up, you know, watching, you know, the first ones I remember watching were the original universal monsters. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe that's also why, you know, when Monster Squad came out, I was like all in, you know, you're the, like, you're the second person in this episode to to bring up the Monster Squad. I'm curious. Did you interesting? <laughs> did you? I, I, it's really, yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, did you was that movie on your radar as a kid? Yeah. You know? okay. yeah. As a kid, I loved that movie. And, I, you know, I think it was like me and one other guy at my school. 
like even knew what that movie was. And I felt even as an adult, like, you know, I'd be like, oh, this was such a great movie. And I'd like show it to people and people would just groan, you know, like be like, really? Like, I'm like, no, it's so cool. Like you just got to, you, know, you can't go in like, you know. but then, uh, you know, of course it's, it's recently found a, you know, a, a huge following. Uh, yep. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen the documentary yet, but uh, Wolfman's got Nards is like the perfect name for it. So. Oh, you'll have to see it. I'm, I'm in there for about like a 10th of a second. Are you in there? I'm nice. In there. Did they talk to you? Or? Um, not, not on camera, but you know, we met them after we, we didn't know that we were being filmed, you know, like it, yeah. it was a screening and uh, it was when I was living in Austin, Texas, and uh, they, they did a screening on the Monster Squad. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, I have to see it. Oh, yeah, and then yeah. the cast is going to be there. Well, plus, it was at the Alamo or one of the Alamos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, yeah. that, that's such a great theater chain. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, it's really the Alamo that helped revive that film in the first place, because Tim League, the, you know, um, like the Alamo's like creator, he got like a like a 35 millimeter print, like the only one in existence or How whatever. That crew finds these things is insane. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, great. I mean, that was the first time I met Andre Gower. I've since, you know, met him, had him on, had him on uh, Stanford Cinema, which was epic. But I always love hearing people talk about the Monster Squad because like you, I, I knew about it back then. And I was, I was mystified when I found out that the movie wasn't a big film as a kid, right. you don't give a shit about that stuff. But I mean, like when, as I've got, as I got older and I referenced the monster squad, the amount of people that had no idea that this Definitely. movie even existed, it's fascinating. And, and they, they talk about it in the, in the documentary, which it's also kind of, kind of sad as well, but not to waste too much or not really waste, but not to spend too much time talking about the monster squad, but you, you oh, brought well, it up I, and I, said we had another I'll, person I'll always bring a monster squad I, think, <laughs> I mean you know when i was a kid too like that dracula i mean obviously bill lugosi and you know christopher lee are an amazing iconic draculas and i had seen them both prior to that seeing mm-hmm. that movie but like that's the dracula that's the dracula costume even that i remember like you know every halloween store selling was you know that version of dracula not right. you know you know, which is obviously influenced by those guys, but it's different. But yeah, I mean, uh, that movie to me, I think actually probably set a group of filmmakers that today is, you know, really like living off of that. And, you know, like I said, it, you know, it didn't hold back like Scream, you know, it didn't talk down, it didn't dumb anything down. And I think, you know, that was one of the problems was like by the nineties, you know, you look at the franchises from the eighties that were still going and they just run out of a lot of steam, you know? It was kind of like, okay, it was slapstick, uh, slapstick comedy or, you know, just like kind of the same tropes, just becoming, you know, parodies of themselves. And, uh, you know, especially thinking Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, you know, Friday the 13th, although, you know, I mean, they're still fun. I, I watch all of them, but you know, they certainly weren't what they were. And, uh, you know, even at, you know, uh, years ago, I was talking to the former editor of Fangoria magazine and, you know, he was kind of, same thing. It was like, you know, the nineties at the beginning of the nineties, it was a horror fan was rough, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you didn't have much going, but then, you know, by the end things started to change. And I think again, it's West since scream that really, you know, kind of pushed and changed that, you know, uh, it, you know, without that, uh, you know, you you can't, the clear ones of course are like the, the slashers that happened after that, you know, reinvigorated, but it made it popular and okay. I think, right. Like, I think Buffy, you know, mm. couldn't have even gotten on TV without like it being okay for horror movies to be talked about and popular again. Right. right? So, yeah. And obviously there was a movie, which is also, 
I actually also like the movie, but uh, I love know. the comic. I mean, yeah, with yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Christy Swanson. Yep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Paul Rubens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Donald Sutherland, you know. Yeah. And uh, oh, my God, I completely I forgot his name, but the um, he passed away. But from uh, Beverly Hills, nine two one zero. Oh, um, yeah. Um, yes. Uh, gosh. I feel bad to all the, the main uh, guy. Like, yeah. The main guy. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, he yeah. had, he had amazing sideburns. I, I, sideburns. Yes. I, I apologize to the ladies who are like shouting <laughs> oh, there you go, right, right now. now. Like, yeah. how do you, how, how can you forget his name? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, um, he was no, uh, Billy. Okay. No, uh, no. Yeah. Good. Uh, Steve Ulrich. Just the, you know, the, the poor man's Johnny Depp. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, you know, Giant Depp at that time was awesome too, but, mm-hmm. you know, they both were coming up. And of course, speaking of callbacks, you know, uh, uh, Rose McGowan's, uh, you know, top there is a callback to, of course, Giant Depp and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. And, and the first one. So, you know, mm-hmm. all tied. See, so, you know, Skeet Ulrich, Johnny Depp, and uh, the guy who can't remember who I will remember as soon as, uh, as, soon as we talking. Off. Yeah. Because I remember like Jason Priestley was one guy and then there's Luke Perry. Luke, Luke Perry. Perry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just had exactly. to say Jason Priestley to remember Luke Perry's mm-hmm. name. But yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you. How, uh, how can the, the listeners find you? You know, uh, just uh, hop on Stream Lounge. Uh, you know, uh, pretty much uh, you'll, you'll see a guy named Sean popping into a lot of streams. Uh, that's the easiest way. Or uh, on Twitter at Sean D Coleman. I'm not very active, but uh, I'll respond. If you, if you want to disagree and argue with me, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Or if anybody ever wants to nerd out about horror movies or old movies in general on that, I'm in. I love it. Now, if you could just nerd out for one second and Course. like, how would you explain? Cause it's something that I, that I fail miserably when I try, try to explain stream launch, like what, what's a good, like, elevator pitch to say what stream lounge is yeah i mean you know stream lounge is the place for you know creators like yourself to really you know build communities around the content that you know everyone loves right so you know if if we look at like the fact that i think you know it just came out the other week that like hbo is going to spend 44 billion dollars on content this year for hbo max and uh you know disney's spending like 60 you know we're we're at like a hundred billion dollars in content being created you know it's amazing what's coming out on these streaming services these days but if you really look at it people love to talk about it i mean you know if you make something that people don't want to talk about you're doing something wrong you know whether it's love or hate or you know fandom is really the big thing which i think you know, the horror community obviously knows but certainly marvel star wars and you know uh, even the matrix so you know we, we can talk about the matrix uh, another time um but uh you know it, it's the place for people to get together and just like really build off of that together, but more so in a way that's not ethereal, right? Like it, it sticks around, it's, it's recorded. Um, you know, it's much more like the live reaction videos meets Twitch, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and type of thing. So uh, there is no good, I, I'm probably not the right person to do the elevator pitch. That should be Mark. Right. I'll, <laughs> but, I'll try to get um, him on yeah. here sometime. Yeah. Yeah. You should get him on, uh, get him uh, or Paul. Uh, Paul is the, the action movie guy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Mark watches anything, but yeah, uh, yeah, he, he, yeah. But uh, Paul, Paul watches anything too. But uh, he's, he, you know, he'll. Yeah, you know, I, I keep telling him he needs to do Heat. You know. Ooh. Yeah. 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 I love Heat. That's a good one. Oh yeah. But yeah, everyone, get on Stream Lounge. Come watch. You know, uh, Stamper on there every week. It with a cocktail now. <laughs> it's true. 
Yes. Yeah. So I had to find a way to separate the podcast from 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 Stream Lounge. And since I enjoy amateur mixology, I'm like, eh, it'll just be You'd kind re- of fun. I mean, yeah, they they're you know, they look delicious. I have not full honestly, I've not made one along with you yet. But it's okay. Uh, it's all yes. right. Yeah. I, I just appreciate uh, we need to get you sponsored by one of these like cocktail clubs to like, you know, send all the ingredients out and oh then God, you go yeah. do the the show, you know, like that's what we need. Yeah. Oh my God, that'd be awesome. Yeah, because there are, yeah. there are, there are tons of those out there now. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, Sean Coleman, this has been an awesome, awesome conversation. Thank you. Uh, I, I say this to everybody and I, well, I mean, it's everybody, but I certainly mean it to you. Anytime you want to come back and talk about any film, I'd love to have you. This was, this is a great discussion. And uh, to, to Catherine, to Brad, uh, to Ben, uh, and then, of course, uh, Sean, all of you guys, this was so much fun. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed listening to this and get out and see the new screen film. I'm going to. So, yeah. Sean, feel free to say goodbye and uh, we will close thank, on out. Thank you so much for having me. This has been you know, an absolute pleasure. And, you know, I get to be on Stanford Cinema. It's amazing. Uh, but no, uh, I would love to come back and talk about any, any movie you'd have me come talk about. I'll, I'll, I'll yap about and give my two cents, uh, whatever it's worth, but, uh, definitely happy scream weekend to everyone. Um, like I said, I haven't seen it yet, but, uh, people I trust have said that, uh, it feels very scream and Wes would be proud. So, uh, I don't know what that means exactly, <laughs> but, uh, go see it, support, support it in the theater so that, uh, we can get more of these. So that is that we'll see you next time on another episode of Stanford Cinema.